This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 144 and this week very pleased to be joined by a returning guest after I believe three or two years three years I think it's two years. It's been right? a while it has yeah, been a long been time a but I am back. <laughs> uh, Brian Quimby from Street Fight Radio has returned. Hi Brian. Hey John what's up? Not a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> it's basically the same thing every day. Yeah, I feel I like <laughs> I feel like I live in the suburbs again, basically. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Like, actually, I mean, my neighbors have been partying. They opened a lot of stuff up here, so I live in one of those places. It's just going to be hell in the next mm-hmm. couple weeks. But uh, yeah, they opened a lot of stuff up, so my neighbors have been like partying, and I'm like, oof. Okay. <laughs> there's there's like nothing open here still in the in the Bronx, but but there's like my downstairs neighbors have definitely been well, okay. My downstairs neighbors never stopped partying. Like they've had the loud music and the people over like pretty much since like week one of this when you know everybody in New York was dying <laughs> on a daily basis. So they don't give a fuck. Yeah, They're like we will we will dance on the corpses. We don't care. But yeah, there are some people who are like real have not stop partying, but for the most part, everybody else has been very quiet. So, yeah, uh, my hope is always that they're just like it's the same people because I have I'm bad with like faces and stuff. So like I don't know if the people next door are just always the same people or not. And I don't look at them, and I'm self centered, so I just keep walking, <laughs> walking by them. I mean, well, I, we're really I'm only I'm doing a street fight at uh at the studio like i'm going over there and recording but other than that it's really the only place i go i don't i'm not like really going anywhere else and i'm keeping the circle very small i have not i haven't left my apartment in like a month i think i like i've gone on my balcony that's as far as i've gone so i don't know i've taken i've taken social distancing to heart i guess i'm just i mean we we have like we have grocery delivery here so like we have no, I don't know, no immediate immediate need, I guess, to go out really, and you know, I've just been I've been tipping people very very well to bring me food, and 
uh, not going anywhere. So. As soon as this happened, I was going to start getting my food delivered, my groceries delivered too. And that, that just wasn't the infrastructure here in the city mm. to do it. And it was just, I couldn't. So I've been going to the grocery store once a week since this all happened. And at first I was like having panic attacks and stuff when I got home. But now I'm just like, I wear a mask. Um, I take a shower when I get home. So I try not to like, I'm trying not to stress super hard about it, although yeah. it is, again, it's like once they started opening stuff back up, that was when I was like, oh, this probably is too early, you know? And yeah, like it just, you know, you can like look at the people who are like all, a lot of my stuff's on hold because of this too. So like, right. it's like I understand why you would want to open like your store. But uh, not a good idea. And there's nobody going to them anyway. That's the yeah. other thing. It's you like see, like those the shit from the south where like they open these states up and like you know like te- like they got back like five percent of their business or something. There, there was this amazing thing from uh, when they opened up Georgia. So this fucking rinky dink uh, axe throwing place reopens, right? And they're like, they have this big giant advertising campaign. We come fucking throw your axe. We're back. And this was like weeks ago, by the way. And, you know, for the first weekend, they said, you know, our worst case scenario, we thought we'd get like a quarter of our business back. They had two customers the entire weekend. Yeah. So like, like nobody, nobody wants to fucking go out and throw an axe and drink beer in the middle of this. I'm sorry. No, I love, I I fucking love bars, but I am not going in a fucking bar in the middle of this. And I probably already had it, but I just don't want to, I don't know that I had it. I don't want to take that fucking risk, you know? Yeah, I had to have the we had to have the big conversation last night. Uh me and my partner Brett for from Street Fight like we're probably not doing any shows this year. Yeah. And it's like I've been like sitting around going like uh I've been like mm, I mean maybe in November or October or September, but it's like once they opened everything back up, it was just like this it's not happening. It's just yeah. like this is going to drag on until there's some way to treat it or cure it quickly you know like, yeah. they're just gonna let I mean, them go yeah they don't give a shit i mean i'm you know i'm just like i, I would have been great if i could have gotten a test when i was really sick you know months back now but you know I, that was when new york had no tests at all and then they're like you hear all this different shit about those uh antibody tests where they're like oh you know they're this accurate but some of them are not accurate at all but some of them are like only so accurate that if you get a positive test, you can't actually be reasonably certain you had it. So I'm like, then what the fuck is the point of getting that then? You know? Yeah. But I, I wish I. I think I can get it. I think I can go and get the test. I think my, I think like my lab, the lab that my doctor uses, emailed me about it. But I'm like, first of all, I have to get on a fucking like bus and go to Manhattan, which I don't fucking feel like doing during this anyway. But yeah, I haven't gotten the test yet. I guess I should do that. I mean, I I think like. I mean, and that's one of the reasons I got a, even a hold of you after hearing the first few of these shows. It's like, this would make me watch wrestling. And like, I don't have anything to, I feel like there's no entertainment left. There's just yeah. nothing. Like, I feel like I've burned through anything I could ever possibly want to watch. I, I watched all the Star Wars movies for the first time in my life during this oh, wow. quarantine, which is like, just it was a uh, it would have been an unthinkable thing for me had my life been going normal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got I got super into those Yakuza games, which like is one of these things I always meant to try because uh, 
you know, these it's games based on like Japan and it's like you have to run around Japanese city. It just seems like a very me thing, you know? But like I would not have the time to fucking plunge 40 hours at, per game because there's like eight of them. But I would not have the time to do that if not for this fucking lockdown. So, yeah, I'm teaching myself. Pretty much I'm learning Mortal yeah. Kombat 11. Like I'm learning how to play <laughs> Mortal Kombat 11 right now. Like I just, I sit and do the tutorial, which is like really long and detailed and good. Like I, I, <laughs> I like the tutorial. So this is my review of Mortal Kombat 11 is I've spent two or three weeks on the tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I keep meaning to play that. I played through 10. I never yeah. got to 11. It's pretty but, uh, fun. I imagine it's more easy to play if you play if you played 10. I haven't played since Mortal Kombat 3, which I was very oh, good at, but that was a very long time ago. <laughs> yeah, as a kid, I was a more of a Street Fighter person. And I did get really, for like a couple weeks, me and my friend were playing uh, like Street Fighter Anniversary Collection on PS4, like just against each other over online, just so we had something to do against each other. But he got... He got tired of playing because I beat his ass too much. So uh, that's crazy. So you, you were you were street. Fi- I grew up like going to this pool hall that had video games. It was called Quarter Flash, and their big gimmick was that everything was a quarter. And they had Mortal Kombat Three, Killer Instinct, and Tekken, and they like had all the fighting games. They I think they even had Street Fighter, but like nobody played Street Fighter too. Uh-huh. Everybody played Mortal Kombat. There we See, all just grew- played it. Where I grew up, it was it was like um, I don't know. I think I mean people played Mortal Kombat, but a lot of people played Street Fighter too. So like when I went to, I used to go to this place called Sports World, which is like in uh, Paramus, New Jersey. It was like this one of those like big arcade places that was also like it had like a motion simulator and the laser tag and all that shit. But like the arcade section just was like a had a ton of fighting games. And yeah, I used to play Street Fighter 2 there a lot, and then Street Fighter Alpha, and um, and then later on, Virtual Fighter and Tekken were very big. But yeah, I don't know. I, I was very into Street Fighter as a child. And then later on, I kept... I went to arcades for a long-ass time, because after the fighting game stuff, I got really into, like, DDR. I don't know if you know what that is. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I was playing that forever, and, you know, I got really good at it for a while, and was, like, doing tournaments and stuff, and then, you know over time finally gave it up but i i like re- i was just saying this on twitter actually i shudder to think how much money i spent on that because that was like a dollar per game <laughs> i think about like how many times i played it like i probably like could have retired if i didn't play <laughs> i i mean mortal comp when mortal Kombat 3 was like in the arcade i would yeah. come in every friday when i got paid and got 20 dollars and quarters and just stay at the arcade till it was all gone you know my my peak at ddr i was playing like every day like i literally every day at the arcades like from like i would get out of i would get out of school and we would go straight to the mall and we'd stay there from like i don't know from like three to like till i kicked us out so (laughs) i mean like yeah but there's yeah. a Japanese uh, arcade here in town that the round one. Uh, it's called a uh, Gacha Gachapon, oh. and it's uh, it used to be in a really small building that looked kind of creepy, and I just never went there because. And then they moved it out to the suburbs, but they moved it into a mall, so it's like in a bigger spot, and they have a bunch of the games 
like they have in like a Japanese arcade. And I really want to go to that because I really haven't been in an arcade since I was like in, in almost like probably two decades. There's just they I mean, I've been to Dave and Buster's, but that's like totally different. Yeah, you know? bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those games yeah. are just silly. <laughs> But yeah, you should go. I mean, if you ever make it to Japan, the arcade scene there is still pretty crazy. Although it might not be anymore. I don't know if uh, they're going to survive this or not. But <laughs> I mean, who the fuck knows? Anyway, what do you think about the wrestling scene at the moment? I'm on your side when it comes to uh, empty arena wrestling. Yeah. And uh, I just want s- some new stuff. Like, I'm, yeah. I really, I'm really bored. I Like, I do not want to go back and watch old stuff i guess like i'm I'm now starting the matrix i'm watching the matrix movies all three Mm. of them but like uh uh as far as wrestling goes it's like i i don't know what uh subscription to get now i canceled new japan a while ago because i just wasn't even getting to the shows and uh i don't have wwe anymore and uh, i had tna for like three weeks and then I canceled it because they didn't have the era that I wanted. So oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't have I mean, the fish did... off Hogan era oh, on there tough. at all. And that was all I want. I was just going to lay around and watch the Hogan, the whole Hogan Bischoff era of TNA. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I've been, I've been into watching the old stuff. I want to like, I've been thinking of starting like in maybe like a big all Japan nineties watch, but like that's all stuff you can't find any on, on any streaming service. Just got to all track it all down which becomes a pain in the ass after a while. That's but, what I need. I need I need you to make me watch a bunch of wrestling because I enjoyed yeah. the matches that you had and you made me watch wrestling for the first time since quarantine started. Except yeah. for the first few, I watched the first few Dynamites and yeah. I watched I, I WrestleMania. My problem is I don't even like AEW when there's fans there. So like without fa- i've tried to watch the first couple of weeks and i was just like i can't fucking do this see <laughs> like, i it's more it's more watchable than wwe but that's like that's the only standard er- anyone ever holds them to i feel like and it's like well of course they're gonna pass that i like it i like it with fans i like i do a we do a watch party for AEW um in columbus at a bar we did until you weren't allowed to go to bars anymore up until the <laughs> very last day actually lockdown started the day after the oh, last I remember that di- I, and i remember that dynamite yeah yeah the, dynamite. the la- and it was so fun like and i was like really like dynamite is like a real revelation because i'm sitting in a room with like 30 people watching dynamite and the crowds are hot on tv and the people in the room are super engaged with it and then the very next week i watched the one without an audience and i was just like i this this make me sad like this is just yeah. making me sad and then i tried one more time and now it's i'm just listening to everything elite every week and like getting caught up on the stories but i mm-hmm. i can't i can't do it i can't sit and yeah. watch it i didn't really like, really like it with the fans so that's my big like it was that it was something that broke me which is like not something that i, I think something that a lot of people liked but when everybody was talking about how great the Cody MJF stuff was and like, I was just like, this, this is not landing with me at all. That was like my, I guess my moment of breaking with it where it was like, okay, well, if the thing everybody says, thinks says it's like the great thing about dynamite just isn't landing with me at all. Then obviously the show probably just isn't for me. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've liked 
most of it. There are times where I'm kind of like, eh, you know, I, I'm I'm not super into it. But generally, the stuff Cody's involved with, I actually do like. Like that's that's the stuff. But uh, again, I also, I mean, like I came up watching, like WWE was like, and and WCW during the Attitude Era. So like I have like a, a, a very American wrestling sensibility to myself. Well, that's the like, stuff I grew up on too. Yeah, but I don't know, <laughs> but I but yeah, then I but, guess I got more into Japanese after. Yeah, right. I didn't find Japanese wrestling until like I was thirty eight. Or something like that. So it's like it is. It's almost even still a novelty for me to watch. Yeah, I discovered it. I discovered America, it in like so. I discovered it in like two thousand two. So I was like sixteen. So I mean, it was very. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, discovered it very early. It's just it. it, it it's easy. Uh, not easy. I don't want to say it's easy, but it's it 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 can, it's more influ- influential to somebody that finds it at a time in their life like sixteen years old. You know, yeah. where it's like my expectations of pro wrestling, uh, AEW meets my expectations of pro wrestling. Like yeah, pretty I well. I, <laughs> I just thought it. I guess I thought because and you know that this this feels stupid now. I guess seeing what it is, but. I guess I thought because of where all those elite guys are coming from, it was going to be more of like an Americanized New Japan type of vibe. Like I thought they were going to go for that. And I was curious, like, what what is that going to be like? You know, can they pull that off? And it doesn't feel like they ever really tried. It just feels like it was, you know, it, it was at first it was at first it was like this fucking complete hodgepodge. And then after that, it settled into, you know, after January, it settled into this like, you know, very like uh memphis tony whatever you want to call him like because him them him and cody do a mid-south or whatever and it's like that's fine and i get why people like it it's just not really my thing yeah so. yeah it, it, yeah for sure i like as soon as you uh it, it's i i knew i watched it go down with you i <laughs> i watched you stop liking it and, and, and the yeah. funny thing is like one of the matches i picked for this is like uh, is like the moment is my MJF Cody moment. So like yeah. that's why I picked it. You know, it, is because yeah. I find it interesting when somebody's just like, you know, saying it, it's it's not this isn't for me. I'm done. I don't like this. You know, it's like a totally reasonable way to handle something. And and that like, uh, I I mean, for you, it also like for me, it's like I don't know where to look. For I don't have a lot of promotions that I'm into. It seems like uh, uh, it seems to me like like the people over at Voices of Wrestling, like you and the Aaron's, and like pretty much everybody, they have like a, a stable of promotions that they watch, like four, three or four Japanese promotions, and then you know whatever American stuff and whatever indie stuff. And for me, it's like. I only watched the one I, I watched WWE for a very long time and new Japan and um, what, what's the other uh, uh, ring of honor, but yeah. really like, I don't have like a lot to pull from. And I just was like, okay, like AEW is just going to be my one place mm-hmm. that I'm just going to go there. That's going to be the thing I pay attention to. That's going to be the thing I follow closely because I feel like, anything else is going to take a large investment from me. Cause it took me a long time to figure out. It took me a very long time to figure out new Japan. It, it wasn't something that caught with me right away. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're especially if you're not into, if you're not already into Japanese wrestling, I could see why that would take a while. I mean, I wasn't into any. Like I never watched anime. I just such a hillbilly, John. I'm really a hillbilly. <laughs> That's the other point too. Is where I, yeah, like I can't, I have trouble sometimes recommending DDT to people because I'm like, you know, I love DDT, but like it, the humor is like so Japanese <laughs> that there is a lot of times where it goes over my head, and it's like if it's going over, you know, someone who's been into all this weeaboo bullshit since like I don't know since I was like 12 years old, then <laughs> obviously. I imagine it's going over lots of other people's heads, you know. So yeah, I don't know if but, I uh, ever. I don't. I don't know if I ever considered. I. I mean, like, I don't know if I ever even thought about Japan until, like, I never thought like I need to go to Japan until like a year or two ago, where it was like yeah. I need to go to fucking Japan. Japan is the greatest place <laughs> in the world. And it's like it, I've changed a lot. I. I still, have only watched half of an anime series. But what show? Uh, Cowboy Bebop. It's uh, Brett is an anime guy, and uh, he's the guy I do the podcast with, and he uh, he knows me pretty well. And he was like, "I think I know if there's one that you would get into, it's that one." <laughs> so he, but you he never, like, but you never even finished it though. I did watch the first. <laughs> I watched a lot of it, and I liked it. I just didn't finish it. It did seem yeah. like a lot. Like a lot of those, whenever I've thought about getting into an anime series, I'm like, oh, there's so much. That's like the, that's the other thing about some of the wrestling. It was like, I felt like I, I don't understand New Japan history, but I understand New Japan history to like 2012, you know, like, like I, I understand the modern era of New Japan history and I can enjoy New Japan in that way without knowing what was going on before this current era. And like, and, uh, and, and like, that's the, that's the thing is like, I feel like I would have to do that all over again. Cause I've tried to watch all Japan and I I just don't know who the guys are or anything like that. And I, Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know, I, I want to be into them. I like the zero one match quite a bit. Yeah. It's a, well, that's like one new, that was a, well, we'll talk about when we get to it, but yeah, I mean, like. There is, I can totally get it. It can be hard to start. I mean, the, my only advice for when people do ask me this is like, like there's definitely been times I got into promotions for the first time and you just have to watch until you get it, I guess. Like there's no, there's no easy way, especially when it's in a language that you don't understand, you know, cause you can't get the commentators like giving you little hints or whatever. So you just kind of have to watch until you get it. I don't know. It's just kind of, you know, I Google a lot of names <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> just sit there and Google and look up and, you know, try to remember the people's names and stuff. Um, but yeah, as far as like, you know, the, like promotions coming back and stuff, I do think Japan will come back before the US. So maybe that's something. I don't know. I don't know if you have any interest in watching Empty Arena New Japan because it sounds like they're going to do it soon. I don't even know. I really have a <laughs> ton of interest. I don't, in that, to be honest. I don't but, think uh, so. I don't think I can. I, I really don't think I can watch any empty arena wrestling. I really don't feel like I just almost feel like uh, I've seen the new Japan stuff that's been making its rounds online over the past like 24 hours. I didn't know they were I didn't know they were doing this, but they were doing like Zoom calls and, and they're oh, doing yeah, like yeah. documentaries and stuff like that. I, I sort of feel like I know that it's a long, hard time to do this. And uh, but I, I feel like you just do stuff like that until you, you can get a two to 300 people in a room. 
I'll three, be honest, three I, to five hundred. I haven't watched any of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've ju- I haven't watched any of it. I've just seen it show up yeah. on my on my timeline, and I just sort of feel like I I I think that's sort of either that or just show old stuff because yeah. the empty ring stuff is just not it's not working. Nope, it's not working yeah. for anybody to me. The empty I, arena stuff isn't working for anybody. I haven't seen anybody doing it well. Yeah, I liked some of the Japan stuff a little bit, but it's been like it's still like a chore to watch it. So yeah. like, I don't really, so I don't like it that much. But like, if I sit down and really force myself to watch it, some of it's okay. That's the nicest thing I can say about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like Japan with crowds, there is a Josie promotion that has June first in Shinkiba first ring booked, and they're selling tickets to fans. That is incredibly optimistic. This pro wrestling wave company, they don't give a fuck. They're like, okay, the state of emergency expires 531. Great, we're running 6-1. <laughs> it's like they don't know They don't know for sure yet if they're actually going to repeal the state of emergency. They don't know if, uh, you know, they're going to – if, like, they won't still put in place, like, guidelines and say you can't run shows still even after the state of emergency is lifted. They're just fucking booking their date, and they're just going to – hope for the best so i kind of i kind of respect that kind of craziness i guess did but big japan for, do that didn't big japan run after well, big japan supposed to big japan ran during the um during like the period before the state of emergency when it was more you know unknown i guess like it wasn't like a lot of companies were canceling but it was still like a like the government was asking basically it wasn't there, there was no state of emergency yet okay so. They haven't run since the state of emergency other than empty arena shows. But yeah, the state of emergency is supposed to be lifted 531. It's already been lifted in a lot of prefectures, but it's supposed to be lifted in Tokyo 531. Wave is really getting their shit in. Like, we're running six, June 1st in Kiva with fans if we can. Uh, we'll see if that happens. But yeah, I expect most companies, you know, assuming the virus doesn't explode again, which, you know, it could. But I expect everybody else probably July or August maybe with like, you know, 50% crowds. And, you know, I mean, I, I will be happy to have, you know, all the Japanese companies back with half crowds. Yeah. I think that will happen. I think that will happen before the U.S. Or at least it should. I don't, the U.S. might just be like, okay, well, we got, we're killing 2,000 people a day. <laughs> Time to open up the fucking uh, Orange Bowl or whatever the fuck. Arizona <laughs> is saying, Arizona is saying you can do pro sports there after with, May with 31st. I, I believe so. Yeah. They said concerts <laughs> and uh, pro sports. All right. You got to be. Kill some people. That's what I, th- hey, that's how I've been thinking about it. It's like, uh, well, it really with that promotion opening the day after the state of emergency, like you really do kind of want to be there right when it's lifted because you have like a really hot crowd. Well, you have a hot crowd, <laughs> and you probably it'll probably be unlifted in two weeks. Yeah, so that's that's what I. Yeah, that's why it's like it, it, I don't know. It feels like it's it's crazy to say to write off the year, but it almost feels like probably that's the decision to make. <laughs> I mean, I'm supposed to go. I'm supposed to go to Japan in October, and uh, I am not. I am not assuming I'm going to be able to go. Let's just say, yeah, I'll be, I'll be pleasantly surprised if I go on that trip. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Who knows? Yeah, Who knows what's I mean, going to happen? It's a wild entire, world. <laughs> my whole summer got canceled already because I canceled. Uh, I'm supposed to go to Europe in June. That's not happening. And then two conventions I was supposed to go to in July and August are were both officially canceled. Uh, the, the airlines are being very generous, giving me zero dollars of my money back. So yeah, thank you, sucks. thank you to 
Thank you to Delta and Alaska and JetBlue. Go fuck yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know who was nice? Fucking Amtrak was nice. They gave me my money back. Oh, they did. So, there you go. They they gave me they they took they took like a bullshit fourteen dollars off it, but uh, but that's you know getting back one hundred and twenty dollars of one hundred and thirty four is still better than all these fucking airlines are doing. So I think I we lost money on WrestleMania weekend. Our our flights out to Florida. That was the only money we lost, and then uh, we didn't book travel yet for the May tour that we had to cancel. But we canceled twelve dates. I mean these. These airlines supposedly they'll give you these fucking travel credit or whatever. Where the fuck am I going right now? And when? <laughs> so, like when yeah. am I ever going to be able to leave again? I don't even know if I'm gonna have a job. I don't even yeah. know if the country's gonna exist. And well, my, yeah. my, <laughs> my job is actually kind of stable. That's good at least. That's like one thing I can be thankful for. It was looking very bad for a while, but then uh, we raised a bunch of money, so that's good. I guess. Right, I heard you. I I actually did hear you say you didn't know how your job was. It's good to hear yeah. that it's going well. My, I mean, I I uh, I just did a whole therapy appointment today about having the conversation about not performing live in 2020 and how it destroyed me. I mean, I am like launching a TV show in three weeks and uh, a. In a in a Twitch stream plus the podcast, but I feel like the only metric for success that I believe in is standing on a stage and talking to people. So yeah. it's like really, it's hard to be like, okay, uh, uh, there are things happening. It really like my job is super stable right now. We're doing better. We're doing pretty well considering the, you know, the unemployment yeah. rates and stuff like that. So. It's just, uh, it's just, it's like being stuck in the house after four years of traveling almost constantly. Like I'm, yeah, you I mean, were that's... doing conventions too. Like, yeah, you know how feel. it's really, it is really weird. I mean, I used to, I, you know, I think I, it, it's very strange not having anything to look forward to. I guess. Yes, like that's basically what it comes down to. And like, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I was, I was gonna do panels and stuff. That's obviously not gonna happen. And I do miss it. I enjoy public speaking and stuff. But me too. You know, yeah, I'm gonna miss just sitting there and uh, talking to a room full of people. But I am too. It's gonna happen again. That's the thing. It's like we, my Brett had to make peace with it. And once he made peace with it, he started talking to me about making peace with it. And he's like, you know, the day you go, the day, the first time we walk out there again, it's going to be fucking crazy. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's a good point. Like I had been, I'd performed live so many times over the past three years that like, I wasn't even getting a, an adrenaline pump out of it anymore, you know? <laughs> So you're not one of these crazy people like uh, replying to Nate Silver that the entire world is gone and we're never going back to the real world. It's all going to be online now. This is a crazy blue check mark that tweets that shit out constantly. And I'm just like, okay, you probably you never left your house before this. So you're hoping that no one will ever leave your house again. But I'm sorry, people are still going to want to like go out and do things. <laughs> when it's, well, once, we, once we think we're not going to get a deadly virus, we're still going to want to leave our houses. I, I talked it. about this on Street Fight or on Street Fight last night, actually. But like, uh, it is going to take a lot for me not to go out now. Like, what now that things are open back up, I'm a per, I'm a social 
person. I like to go and do things and I like to be places and I'm not going to before anybody says, don't go make people <laughs> sick, Brian, and gets mad at me. I want to be very clear that I am not going to go out. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like a protester. I'm not anybody <laughs> like that, but, but it is going to be hard. The beer garden down the street from my house is opening up the patio. It's going to be very hard to drive by that patio and see those people hanging out and not want to do something similar or something similar to that and be with a big group of people sitting somewhere and, and enjoying myself. Like I do want to do that, but I yeah. can't. And I understand that I shouldn't do it. So I'm not going to do it, but it is, uh, uh, it's already challenging to yeah. stay in and not do anything that like the, when it feels like we aren't going to die, if we go outside it's people are going to go outside and they're going to go crazy. I think. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, I think it's going to be the roaring twenties again, honestly, but I, mean, I could be wrong, but I just know like, I all like, like I, if I start fantasizing about all the stuff I want to do after there's a vaccine, I mean, like, you know, obviously I'm not gonna be able to do all of it, but you know, as long as I have a job, I'm still gonna be able to do some of it. I think so. Yeah. I finally want to go to fucking Vegas. No, I've never don't. been to Vegas. I've never been to Vegas. I want to do it at least once. This is the worst three days of, of four days. I spent. Four oh, I remember. Days actually, you know what? I've heard this. I remember you told the story. <laughs> this is the worst yes, four days of my life. I really want to do it, but I. You don't like gambling, though, right? So, like, I do. Like I like it too much. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's well, what happened. I mean, it, it was a really hell tour, and then we lost a bunch of money, and then the Vegas <laughs> show went really bad. <laughs> I, I left up like in my personal account, but the business took a hit and like, it was just my self-esteem took a hit and I wasn't probably right. in the best place by the time I had gotten to Vegas, but yeah, it's just a hideous place. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I should experience it yeah. once. I, Hey, so. I'm not, I would, I wouldn't tell you, I, you should see it for yourself, but it's truly, truly a hideous place. Like it's, okay. it's so gross. And I'm a scumbag. And like I, I was like walking around like this is the grossest place I've ever been to. Like guys just put I will say <laughs> oh about like random girls and stuff. No, guys will put their oh. arms around you and be like, You want some coke? You want some hookers? And like they'll try to take you to a place outside of the line so that we'll take you in a limo, you know. We'll take I mean, that's might be because I look like a scumbag. And like they're just like, hey, there's you know, one of the one of the bros. <laughs> It's here to party, but like the whole time I was there, I just felt like I wanted to differentiate myself from everybody and be like, Hey, I'm here to work, okay? <laughs> like, I'm just here to work because I mean, I went to one of my favorite wrestling live wrestling shows when I was there, but like, I also uh, uh I, I left $180 up and convinced myself that gambling was my new job. And it came home and ended up losing all $180 plus 60 more. And uh, eight people showed up to my live show. And uh, eight yeah. paid. We did eight paid. And it was just like... More, I was, than, more than WrestleMania, Drew. <laughs> that's true. Hey, yeah. that's true. But, you know, I got to smoke on stage, so I looked like, like <laughs> Dean Martin. But it was it's just such a weird everybody's smoking indoors there. It feels like you well that just, I'm used to because I've been to Lynx City a million times. So oh okay. That, yeah, it's that that's a weird to. thing too. Yeah. I, it just is so weird. But I, I don't know. I would I would say go experience it. I just found yeah. it to be like hell. <laughs> I've been I've been 
I've almost gone a bunch of times, and every time I've almost gone, like someone has talked me out of it. So maybe you just did it again, Brian. And the thing is, John, no, don't not go because of me because I'm an idiot. (laughs) And like I was the same way about New Orleans. When I got home from New Orleans, I was like, I'm never going back to New Orleans again. And people love New Orleans. It just when I was there, I was like, this is not for me. Like I'm way too buttoned up for like Las Vegas and New Orleans, like those decadent party places. I think maybe I'm just like a little bit too, I'm not a buttoned up guy. Like I'm a very open-minded person, you know, when it comes to other people's lifestyles and stuff like that, it's, it's not like that. It's just like, I don't want to be a part of like, I don't want to be a part of like the whole you know, hey, show me your tits, kind of thing. <laughs> Get this, yeah. Not who I'm. Just not a guy that's going to be outwardly, publicly horny and drunk. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into these five wrestling <laughs> matches because it's somehow been, I think, 45 minutes without talking about any of them. I, you know what? I can cut. I can cut some of the political stuff. I mean, that's what I'll do. That's so fine. if you're listening to this later, uh, Brian and I talked politics, and I cut it out. So I want. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, so let's start with the first of the five matches, which is your first pick: uh, Walter and Timothy Thatcher versus Dominic Garini and Tracy Williams from Evolve, January thirteenth, twenty eighteen. Um, this this awesome fucking match took place like fifteen minutes from my house. I did not go because I've <laughs> never been. Like the first time at Laboom, despite the fact that I could get a lift and get there in fifteen minutes, is like. My first time at Laboom was uh, over Mania weekend last year when like DDT ran it. So I don't know. I just never, I was, I never watched Evolve except for like the very first couple shows in Rawway. I went to a couple of them, but uh, yeah, it was never my thing. So I guess go ahead, pitch this match to me. Why did you pick it? And, you know, did you pick it, you know, for any specific reason for me or just because you wanted to watch it? What's, what's up with this pick? If, uh, I was into Evolve for a period of time that like where it looked like they were doing sort of a sports entertainment invasion angle using like TNA and X. Oh, yeah, I remember. Guy. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What an interesting concept that was, too, that they just like dropped. Like I got in because I, I, I see this concept where it's like Drew Galloway and um, EC3 show up to yell at like the grappling type wrestlers and be like this isn't what gets you know and and i found that that's an interesting storyline i think like very it's interesting thing to do and then they just Mm -hmm. stopped it right after but i stuck around for a couple of years and uh this was the last one of the last shows i really got into and and like was very surprised but this match like I, i remember i was laying in bed watching this show and everything, you know, you're watching it, and it was just like every it's okay, it's okay. And then they do this long promo before this match, like they do this long segment, and then it's 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 Tracy Williams and Dom Garini versus Walter and Timothy Thatcher, where there's like I like Walter, but the rest of these guys I didn't have like any kind of connection to they had never really connected with me. I was I was like not super into what they did. And uh, uh, this match got me to jump out of my bed. Like, I was like, oh, my God. By the end of it, I was just so wrapped up into this thing. And then, (laughs) honestly, once it was over, 
I expected everybody to be talking about that match. And it just was one that never got any traction on any sorts of lists. And uh, I thought you might like it because it's a little more. I, I figured like if I'm going to do a thing, I want to give you a good match that yeah. like exemplifies what I like about you wrestling. Picked, you sure picked a good one. Yeah, this was as good as it, it this was as good as I I can think of. It's a, it it just it lodged itself in my brain and I just think it's like I think it's a really good match. Yeah. So so the wrestlers here um you know Walter I've seen a bunch of times he's re- he's very good at what he does. Tracy Williams uh I believe the former Silver Ant, right? Isn't he he was Green Ant Silver Ant? He's the one that oh. Joe unmasked. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I saw I saw a ton of him when he started out because I was like going to every single Jakar show when he uh, when he was first starting. But yeah, I, so I, I hadn't seen him for a long time, and you know after like he started showing up, I guess in ROH I saw a little bit of, a little bit of him. But yeah, he looked really really good in this match. So that's that's one that I was happy to to see here. Uh, Dominic Garini, I I have no idea who that is. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I've ever seen him wrestle before. Before he showed me this match, or really even heard the name, I no fucking clue who that is. So he is that's someone, on, John. You had, like he's putting on a performance of like I feel like that I had I've seen him a few times wrestle. Uh, he's uh-huh. a Cleveland guy from AIW. Right. And uh, 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 I just feel like he put on the match, w- one of those like career defining matches here. Like he is yeah. so great in this match. And yeah, he's, he's in really there good. with a bunch of really good, I mean, he's in there with like great indie wrestlers. Like they were, all of these guys are are respected and are, are, are good, considered good workers. And I feel like he fits in this match and i i would have never expected that you know yeah he was really good here so i was just like okay i don't know what this guy is or who this guy <laughs> is or what he does but he was sure good in this match uh, and then timothy thatcher he's a guy that you know he's somewhat controversial i think where some people really love him uh you know some people you know like divorce wrestling flagship and many other people really hate him i'm definitely more on the side of love but like at the same time it's hard because I, I don't watch any of the promotions that he wrestles in regularly. So I've seen him very, very infrequently. But pretty much every time I see him, I'm like, this guy fucking rules. Like, why don't I watch him more? And I really wish he got in Japan for it. I know he wanted to work Japan, but like he never could get a, I guess he could never get a solid spot with a Japanese promotion. Like I would have loved to see him in pretty much any Japanese promotion. That would have been awesome. But yeah, I don't. I just don't. I don't watch Brit Res, which is where he ended up for a while. I wasn't watching Evolve, you know, pretty much through any of his run. So I just never really saw a ton of him. But every time he would show up on my radar, I would, you know, fucking love it. So, and now, of course, I'm never going to see him for the rest of his career, probably I because I know and now he's signed with WWE. But yeah, I don't he's, know if you're a Tim Thatcher guy or not. But I thought he was. He's awesome. I thought he was awesome here. Yeah, I I don't know if I am. I've I've me and you have probably seen him the same amount of time. I I think I saw him a few more times in Evolve, but I don't watch Brit Rest either. And and I never even considered that I I never even considered. I thought I figured he probably did a run in like zero one or something like something that I don't see, or like uh uh All Japan or something like that. And and the fact that he never did anything over there. 
to me, it's like he's he's like the guy that can get over and he's the exact type of guy that can get over in Japan. It's yeah. like, and he looks so he like looks really good. And uh, him and Dom Greeny, especially in this match, they really make you believe like his face stuff, the stuff he does with his face. I, I mean, he makes you believe like he, I think he does like great, uh, uh, um, facials and and wrestling like he does these little things so well that it it really makes the match seem like a different level than maybe some of the other people who who uh you know the match we watched late with okada he's another guy that does stuff with his face that you just feel like like uh uh you've convinced me i understand this like you're in pain <laughs> or, or they're conveying anger and like uh i know that that doesn't necessarily he doesn't do a lot of moves or anything right. like that and and you know the voice is a wrestling flag flagship guys I, they're not super into like the grapply kind of thing so i i kind of get it but like i i can't imagine watching this match and coming out and saying tim thatcher i mean he's so good in here he's yeah. they, and and I don't know. This also was an example to me that that grappling style, like which three of the four guys in this match are known for, does work and can work and can be great. Yeah. I mean, I lo I love that stuff. So I I I was wondering if like, if you picked that on purpose because that's what I'm into normally anyway. But yeah, I love all that crap. I mean, this could have been like a fucking Hideki Suzuki Big Japan match. So. <laughs> I mean, this is like the kind of stuff I really like. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I was into all the grappling stuff. And then, but, but I mean, I think even people listening to this who don't like that stuff will still probably like this match a lot because there was also like some really hard hitting striking and, you know, guys just beat each other's ass at one point, you know, like when Tracy Williams gets in there and really goes hard on Walter and then it just kind of breaks down with everybody in the ring at one speeding each other's asses. I mean, this is not just a, um, you know, it's not just a grapple match. Like, I don't want to make people think it's no. straight up grapple fuck. I mean, they they do a lot of grappling early on, but they but they keep you know it evolves into like evolves <laughs> it evolves into like more of a physical match later on. But which just, again, Thatcher Thatcher can do that. I don't know why people people I don't the 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 Tim Tha the Tim Thatcher shit. I feel like is one of those things where everybody talks past each other. But like you know, I just think he's a I I think he's a very good professional wrestler who. You know, sometimes wrestles a style that some people aren't going to like. And, you know, I really don't like it either when people, and I guess I might as well go on this rant now. I feel like people get too hard sometimes on individual wrestlers over crowd reactions. It's like people do that very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They do that very, like, you know, um, they'll do it on one hand, but they won't do it on the other hand. You know, they do it very selectively where it's like, yeah, I mean, Tim Thatcher during that evolve run, I guess didn't wasn't didn't get over with the crowds and the crowds weren't into him. That doesn't mean that like all of his matches fucking sucked or like you know all of his matches were awful or like he's an awful wrestler. It just means like in that exact moment what he was doing didn't get over with the crowd. And you know maybe you could be like oh he should have adjusted or whatever, but it's like you know sometimes cer certain audiences just don't like different certain wrestlers. I mean. Fucking Dragon Gate crowds didn't really like Shinko Takagi, and I don't see that people holding that against him when he goes to New Japan and tears it up. You know, I mean, True. 
it isn't going to work with what works with one audience might not work with another audience. And I feel like people are too, um, you know, I feel like they're too stringent on holding that against the wrestler. So I don't know. And, and maybe evolve at that time. Uh, I, 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 who, I don't know who was in there when he had his big championship run, but I was listening to the flagship at that time too. And was like, God, this Tim Thatcher guy must suck. And I might've even <laughs> just avoided him because it was like, uh, ah, you know, I, I, Joe Lanza and Rich Krejci hold a ridiculous sway over, how I view wrestling. Like it's just me and my brother, both, we both listen to the show and like my brother will give me a Joe Lanza opinion. Like <laughs> at times, he like he listens to this. He's going to, his ego's going to swell even more now. Well, Joe, uh, I, I actually told them recently that uh, uh, there was a night where I was going to microdose mushrooms and uh, <laughs> I accidentally mega dosed mushrooms, macro dosed. <laughs> And I took too much and uh, I started tripping and uh, I hadn't expected to trip that night. I just wanted to like a little tinge of tripping, mm. but I didn't want to go all the way over the edge into like you're wasted and you're grappling with your reality. But I did on accident and I like flipped out and I got really panicked. And then I went into my bedroom and laid face down and listened to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast until I could convince myself that everything was normal. And they got me through a crazy bad trip experience. Yeah. I mean, they're but, a great podcast. I listened I listen to the live show today. You know, they, they do. But they just they have very strong opinions. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's it can be hard sometimes as a wrestling I don't know. It's probably not even just wrestling. It's probably anything. Like you should listen to a lot of different opinions. You know. Yes. So, well, I, I, I do. That's what I've always tried. That's what I've always tried to do. Well, I'm not saying you specifically. I mean anybody. Yeah, anybody I guess. Listens. Sure. But well, like, you just don't let some because like it, it. They they kind of chase me away. And as I said, when I first watched this match, this was I would never have gotten excited about these four guys in a match, you know, very excited always to see Walter. Cause I just like big guys that hit really hard, but <laughs> like, uh, um, the other three were just like, I could take them or leave them. And then this match, like this match made me respect all three of those guys. And like, I really feel like Dom Garini's doing like next level stuff in this match. That is yeah. like, uh, it's a new way. I feel like he really, is doing a new way of that grapple wrestling style where he's like kind of flinging himself at the person and wrapping himself around somebody and putting mm -hmm. them in a hold instead of it just all being on the ground, you know? Right. And uh, I think that that's something that he does very well in this match where like he'll be on, he, he just flings himself at somebody and ends up in an arm bar or crucifix or something like that. And it's like you, I, it's a, it feels this match really does feel like the beginning of a new version of wrestling that never materialized. Yeah. I, we don't, I mean, I tweeted this out. Um, I've wished to God that AEW was more about this than what it's actually ended up being about. Like, if this was what American wrestling turned into. Because this is like I would watch fucking if this was all over time, I would watch every week. Now, maybe they were doing maybe they'd be doing 150,000 viewers instead of 600,000, <laughs> but I would be one of the 150, is the point. I would not, or as I'm not one of the 600, but 
But yeah, I, I mean, I would fucking, if this was what AEW turned out to be, I would adore it. Even if they just had a fucking, if they just signed up these guys instead of having half of them go to fucking WWE. And I know with Walter, I think they did want him and he, he signed too early with WWE or whatever. But who, who gives a fuck? In a perfect world, if they had signed all these guys and at least had like a fucking shooter division, a fucking badass division, a dudes doing fucking Big Japan Strong Division matches with fucking, you know, just sign Hideki Suzuki too. Why the fuck not? Like do that. Have that division as a counterweight to the fucking goofball uh, PWG shit. I would be way more into AW, but yeah, you know, I, I also, feel like I, this they need some guys. They need some guys who can fucking grapple. I said that from day one. Get some fucking wrestlers in there. I sound like I probably sound like fucking Luke Fez, but get me some guys who can fucking wrestle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I do wish this was a more influential match, and I do also wish that like these guys are never gonna have this match again. Because well, WWE sure, house yeah. style, <laughs> WWE house style is gonna is gonna prevent them from doing anything. This, like I said, innovate. This felt like a very innovative match, and I, I mean, nothing ever came of it afterwards. But it, it is just like it, it's a really it it's a match that stuck in my head for a number of years or for two years. I, what I've one thing I've learned over the especially over the course of this series is there are so many times that American wrestling could have been good <laughs> and they just <laughs> over like that. I don't know if you listened to the episode we did that Steiner's uh Sting and Lex Luger match, but like that was a fucking blueprint in like 1991 or whatever the fuck. And WWE was just like, all right, let's get these fucking guys out of here. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't like every single time it feels like. American wrestling is like on the cusp of greatness. They're just like, nah, let's just go back to doing bullshit. So I yeah. don't know. It is what it is, I guess. But yeah, this match is awesome. I would go like four and a quarter on it. I mean, there were like maybe a couple times where it was disjointed and like, you know, one spot or two I could nitpick, but like, you know, like fucking nitpick bullshit. This is an awesome fucking match and definitely one I would recommend to anyone listening, especially if you're like me and did not watch this this period. I mean, it was a just a really, really good match, and you know, definitely we want to go seek out more of, uh, you know, Tim Thatcher from this period, which is probably something I'll do. I guess I have all the time in the world to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, any final thoughts on the match before we move on? No, I just I love that match, and uh, I hope other people watch it and enjoy it because it, it's really a it's such a cool match. I feel like a dumbass for not going, but <laughs> it was like dance my half. Uh, so my first pick was sadly against the Sandman from ECW November to Remember 1997. Now I put this up uh, on the Twitter poll a few weeks ago on the Ogan episode, and he had um, you know his Sting versus Vader match beat this very narrowly. So I was like, damn it, I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate. I have to put this on a on a show in the future because I really wanted to watch this match again and have an excuse to watch it and i was like wait a second i have brian coming on that sounds perfect for some reason <laughs> so uh that's why i picked this for you it's it's one of i, I mean i guess i'll get your opinion in a second it, it's one of the worst matches i've ever seen like really an incredibly terrible match um for a lot of different reasons but like it's at least a funny bad match like there is so much that goes wrong here that is hilarious that you know even though it does drag because it's also really, really long. Yeah. Um, it's very, it is still, a lot of it is still entertaining. 
Um, I have no idea what the storyline reasons were for this match or anything. I never really watched ECW TV from like 1987. I guess this was like, I guess at this point, like Sabu and RVD were like fucking WWF guys or something. <laughs> Cause like in the pre-match, I, I vaguely remember reading about this. Like, I guess, remember when RVD did like fucking two episodes of Raw and, you know, they started calling him Mr. Monday Night because of that. Yep. Like, yeah, I do. So, he, so he, like at that point, I guess they had like a fucking heel stable of WWF guys like Ham, uh, Sabu, Bill Alfonso. Sabu is WWF guy. It's funny. But like uh, Furnace and Lafon, who were in the, the pre-match attack that set this up. So I guess they were like these these WWF heels uh, and Sam Man was defending ECW or something. Um, but yeah, I picked this because I remember it being an absolute train wreck. It's been a long time since I saw it. And I also know, like, when I was first, I guess, getting into the, you know, quote-unquote internet wrestling community in, like, the early 2000s, like, reading about this match and, like, about this, just ECW in general, it just seems like this match was, like, a major flashpoint in the internet wrestling community at the time because, like, the people who absolutely loved ECW and, like, thought they could do no wrong insisted it was good. And everybody else was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, how, like, in what way is this match good? So I thought it'd be interesting to see how it holds up in 2020 eyes. It's definitely been a lot long time since I watched it. Um, it was a tables and ladder match from somewhere called Monaca, Pennsylvania. I guess that's by Pittsburgh, right? Something like that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. Uh, I thought it was in <laughs> Philly, actually. <laughs> I, think it, I think they might have said at one point that it was near Pittsburgh. I could be wrong. I don't really know Pennsylvania geography that well. That's a big uh, crowd, though, for not being a major city. They yeah. really drew on this show. I'm going to look this up because it's going to bother me if I don't look it up. But uh, Monaco, Pennsylvania, there you go. It's about 25 miles northwest of Pittsburgh. Okay. So. Okay. That makes a little bit more sense because people could drive in from Cleveland and Pittsburgh to the. Because I was like, wow, that is a huge odd. That was the thing that struck me right away was it was a huge audience. And, uh, you know, <laughs> a huge audience that didn't care about this they didn't they really didn't <laughs> that was the thing they were pretty hyped at the beginning of it too like during the during sandman's entrance i know that like they mess around with a lot of the sound on the old yeah. ecw shows so I, I i do know that it's harder to get an idea but the crowd seemed pretty hot for this match uh yeah. in the beginning <laughs> but i i gotta i gotta say i agree with you because I enjoyed watching this match. It is a terrible match. It is <laughs> it's unfathomable. It's un, it's almost unfathomably fascinatingly terrible. So well, let's go through it. First of all, what is the fucking point of having a match where, quote, I'm just quoting Joey Styles here, the use of tables and ladders is not only allowed but encouraged in fucking ECW? Aren't yeah. they allowed in every fucking match? I thought so too. I thought I, you know, that, that's what's that's also funny. That's why they have to say and encouraged. It's like we're so yeah, I guess we're so. so fucking crazy. <laughs> we're gonna encourage them to use the ladder as though using ladders and tables in a WWE ladder match is discouraged. Like, well, it's distasteful to use them, but it's you're allowed. But we're we're not gonna fucking really encourage you to do it. You shouldn't do it. It's allowed. But no. Um, <laughs> Because I remember when the only reason why I'm 100% sure of this is because when they relaunched ECW and WWE and then 
added in those extreme rules matches, which meant the non-extreme rules matches were not, uh, I guess, you know, not, wasn't have anything, didn't have anything goes. Everybody was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Extreme rules matches. That's, that's all of ECW. So people were like really pissed off about that. But yeah. So anyway, so I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty certain that uh, ladders and tables were allowed all the time, but they were encouraged here. I got, I, I want to, I, before I forget about this, cause I'm a little bit stoned too. Uh, <laughs> there is a spot in this match that is one of the most incomprehensible spots I've ever seen in wrestling. I probably have it written down, but go ahead. Go, let's hear which one this is. They, is it, you could be, they, talk, you could, well, I want the, the listener to know something. I have like four or five spots written down that Brian could be talking about right now. Okay, I yeah. do not know which spot Brian is talking about. There are at least three to five spots in this match that Brian could be talking about. But go ahead, Brian. Which, which one are you talking about? The one I'm talking about is Sandman makes a big show of making everybody in the front rows back up around uh-huh. this area. They all back up. He takes a ladder and he sort of uh, oh, okay. on, <laughs> he leans it on the audience side of the barricade. So it's yeah. up, sort of like a seesaw or a teeter-totter. <laughs> then he gets back in the ring and does a dive where he grabs that ladder and, like, tries to hit. It's like a needlessly complicated move that, that also doesn't like work shit. at... Yeah, it yeah. doesn't work at all. He, I don't even think he hit him. So I definitely have this one written down. This is, like, late in the match. but So I, this one was so insane. I was, like, talking in the voice wrestling slack about this match. Uh, like as I was watching it and I had already been talking about all these different spots and I'm like, okay, this one is so crazy. I'm just going to record my television and show it to you. Cause I can't describe it. Yeah. I mean, he, he basically, <laughs> I, I had, I wrote like a very long paragraph. It's probably the worst spot in wrestling history. So, <laughs> Oh no, no, no. I actually, you know what? I wrote that about different spots. <laughs> oh really? Cause this, okay. this was one of the worst. Cause this but that one happened before, but this one, yes, this one happened after. Okay. Here's what, like you said, Sabu is on the floor. Like you said, Sam sets up the ladder. When he does this dive, okay, he, like Sabu is leaning on the apron. And Sandman runs to the ropes, jumps over the ropes, jumps past Sabu, makes no contact with his body. And I guess the idea is that he's supposed to be doing a seesaw with the ladder into Sabu. But that does not happen. Instead, he just lands, and there's a long pause, and then he just grabs a lot of throws at Sabu. Yeah, I mean, he could have he could have just sat, stood there, and grabbed the ladder and thrown it at Sabu. He did not have to do a dive over Sabu onto the floor to then throw the ladder at Sabu. I mean, it could not have looked worse. But yes, there was another spot that I called the worst spot in wrestling history. Let's go through. It. I have I have these in order. So let's say. I mean, Sabu starts out by immediately hitting a triple jump moonsault where he seemed to land hard on his own thigh, which looked like it sucked. I'm like, oh, that was an omen, I guess, in hindsight. <laughs> um, and the crowd, like, the crowd dies almost immediately when the match yeah. starts. And it's like, well, what the fuck? You were, like, really into, like you just were saying, you were really into the Sandman entrance. And, you know, I watched a couple of their matches in the show just because I was like, oh, were they dead the entire night? I'm like, no, they were into it early. I mean, they they must have just got, the, the crowd must have just gotten killed by like too much stuff or something, which I think happened, you know, with some frequency on ECW because this was the semi-main event. So maybe yeah. they just were, they're just a little fried by that point. But yeah, um, you'd think two of the biggest stars in the company fighting in this garbage match would be 
like a big deal, but they go dead pretty much immediately. So that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> like before they're really starting to fuck things up either. And then, so at one point, uh, Sandman, Sandman grabs a table. Okay. And he just kind of falls backwards while holding the table and very lightly drops it on Sabu, which Joey Styles, bless his heart, is uh, charitable enough to call a table suplex. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, sir, that is a table suplex. Uh, if you use a lot of imagination, maybe. He just kind of fell backwards and lightly dropped his table. Really, but it's not a table suplex. And then he says, uh, Joey Styles gives a long pause and then says, uh, we knew this wouldn't be pretty and boy, <laughs> boy, are we right? Oh my god, Joey Styles already knows this sucks. Um, yeah, they also like it, it. The thing about it is, it does seem like they had idea, like they were trying yes. to do something innovative in the they, ring. They were trying. They, this entire match is basically they set up spot after spot after spot, and almost all of them go wrong. So. I'm sure it must have been immensely frustrating for them. I mean, there is probably a universe where every spot hits and this match is some fucking cla- ECW classic, but it sure wasn't this universe. So, uh, <laughs> so Sandman, he tries to put Sabu on a table, like hanging up between the guardrail and the ring. And he just kind of like grabs his head and just kind of like bonks it. Not very hard at all. The table immediately breaks. Sabu goes through it with like that, that's his entire match. A bunch of stuff that looks like it it must have fucking hurt, but it also looks like shit. Those um, tables, those tables are so bad in yeah, this match. Like no cooperation from the tables at all. That's the that's where you're like, maybe Joey Janela's right to have switched to the doors because <laughs> the these tables were just crumbling it was almost like they got old tables from wwe and like glued them together i guess so uh sandman he goes to the top rope and tries for a leg drop and set on stab rear while he's hung up in the railing and completely misses him the idea is he was supposed to do the leg drop the guillotine leg drop on stab rear while he's hung over the railing with the table underneath him and he'd go he'd like do the leg drop on sabu and sabu would go through the table which I guess would have looked cool, but he did not even touch a hair on Sabu's head. He bang dropped no. the table, and Sabu Sabu fucking sells it. By the way, I'm like he did not touch you at all, sir. I mean, he, Sabu just kind of like gently falls off the railing he was on, and he still sells it. I'm like, okay, like I, I guess thing- the force of the wind of Sandman coming back. <laughs> so you know, if the crowd was. If the crowd was hotter, though, you know, you could you could say like they were not <laughs> expecting Sandman to do high spots like that. And yeah, Sandman was trying. Why, yeah, the audience is. I think it's. I think they were pretty charitable with him <laughs> after the first few like really missed things. You know. Yeah, uh, the, we get the first slap champ match. Sit the fuck down. People, people can't see, I guess, because all the people at ringside are standing. Um, they finally successfully hit a spot in their like, fifth or sixth try with Sabu hitting the, the chair jump leg drop on Sandman through a table between the ring and apron. That is the first spot that successfully hits at this point in the match. Um, then Sabu, he whips Sandman 
uh, into the corner. Sandman clearly thought he was supposed to do an Irish whip counter. So he starts to do it. He turns around and starts to pull Sabu. Sabu did not know they were doing an Irish whip can- counter. So he does not come with him. So Sandman just kind of like, this is an amazing shot of Sandman reaching for Sabu, like, come back and like slowly falling down. She's like, I, I rewatched this like five times because I was laughing harder each time. He's like, no, Sabu. And it just kind of like stumbles down like a drunk, which is, I guess, very fitting, but it's really fucking funny. Uh, and then, okay, here's the spot I call the worst in wrestling history. Uh, Sabu, he climbs to the top rope, okay? And he sets up this giant ladder. And the Sandman is laying on a table on the floor. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think they were trying to do here. I believe Sabu was supposed to ride this ladder down to the Sandman, who was very far away because this ladder is gigantic. So in theory, he should have been able to ride it down and get to him with no problem. So And then ride the ladder down to Sandman and leg drop him through the table. What actually happens is Sabu just kind of falls off the ladder part of the way down. He hits the ground with a horrific-looking feet-first landing that he had no way to prepare for. He could have broken both his fucking ankles, honestly. Uh, it's amazing that he didn't. The ladder just comes down on Sandman, which also looked like it was incredibly painful. And you can see Sandman go, oh, my God. And the table tips over with Sandman on it, and Sandman just falls to the ground. So it's the ultimate wrestling combo. Like the crowd just sees the crowd is like buzzing, like, oh my god, what is Sabu doing? This is gonna be crazy. And then <laughs> that entire sequence happens. And they just and the crowd just goes, Oh. Like you can almost hear them like, you know, go, Oh my god, that's it. But so it looked like shit and got no reaction. But I guarantee you that was incredibly painful for both men. Yeah. So it was very, very painful but also look like absolute garbage. I, so that's why I think it's a strong candidate for the worst spot in wrestling history. I spent like a lot of this match remembering times where me and Brett got on stage and the audience cheered for us and then just stu- nothing worked. <laughs> you know, for the first 15, 20 minutes of the show, then it gets in my head and then for the rest of the show and it's just like, you know, that... Uh, that did not meet my standards <laughs> for what a good live show is. And like, I can feel it in the moment and I gotta feel like both of these guys were like, this is a dud, like yeah. a f- 10 minutes. How long is this match? Did you it's 21 minutes? It feels 21 minutes. It feels, it feels like a half. Hours. Yeah. It feels like it goes on forever. Like, yeah. I, 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 I think it's funny because you hear Paul Heyman knows how to accentuate the uh, uh, best parts of people and hide the worst parts. And it's like, why is Sandman in? But I guess Sandman maybe had other good matches with Sabu and they were just like, ah, you know, they can do it again. And I do think that some of the spots were very ambitious, but also like not well thought out. Yeah. Uh, so Sandman tries to cover this up with a fucking somersault plancha off the top rope to the floor, uh, with Sabu rolling out of the way and Sandman falling through the table. That was actually kind of cool. And he keeps doing these fucking somersaults even after he busts his head open. So a sentence I never thought I would say, the best part of this match was the Sandman flipping. Yeah. I mean, that's literally it. Him doing these fucking somersaults was the best part of this match. Yeah. So 
by a mile. That was like the only thing that was hitting. He should have just done nothing but flips. It should have been fucking Will Ospreay. Yeah. I think so, every too. Time tried, every time he tried that, it works. <laughs> so, I don't know. And every time he does like a top rope move or high spot or something like that, it's very exciting because he does not look like he can do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his somersault plunges and shit, his little flip for the best part of this match. So, uh, but yeah, then I, I just, at this point, I just wrote my notes. I can't believe this is still going. And they're just fucking tossing shit at each other at this point. Because I think they're both just very frustrated over everything so far. Um, and then the one we talked about already happens where, you know, the Sandman leaping ladder thing. What the fuck? Um, but yeah, they look like, like kids playing. That looks yeah. like when you're playing like fight with your friend when you're like, like eight. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I got uh, an idea. It's going to rule. And then it like doesn't execute at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he does like another somersault uh, through on Sabu on a, through a table on the floor. It looks pretty decent, and that finally gets an ECW chant out of dead crowd. And then just when the match, they've hit like two spots in a row that look okay. And just when that finally happens, the match grinds to a fucking halt because we have a ten-hour-long Sandman and Bill Alfonso stare down while Sabu tries to light a fucking fireball that doesn't want to light. And he finally tries to throw it, and it completely fucking misfires. And the crowd, again, just goes, ugh. Like, you can hear they're getting really annoyed at this point. At least Sandman did not bother to sell the Phantom Fireball. So it hit him. the referee. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. That's awesome. Uh, and then Sabu finally, mercifully ends it with the Atomic Arabian Face Buster with the ladder, which thankfully at least mostly landed. And boy, does this live up to the hype as one of the worst matches of all time. But, Not good. <laughs> uh, did I enjoy myself watching this more than like your average uh, two and a half star WWE match? I sure did. It was it was horrible and it dragged it forever. But there are a lot of moments here I'll never forget for the rest of my life. So definitely a negative star match, and they should have gone like ten minutes tops. But uh, I, it's a negative star match that if you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. You you have to watch this match. It is almost breathtaking how much they fuck up. <laughs> so. I would definitely recommend it. Have you ever seen this before you watched it here? I hadn't. No, this was okay. this my first time seeing it, and it was fantastic. It really was <laughs> a very good time for me watching this match. I, I just like, I, you know, I had just got home from from work, and uh, I was I was tired and burned out, and this match kept my attention the whole time. I mean, it, it definitely will do that. I think. Uh, but yeah, so that that was uh, that was one bad match. Let's go from one bad match to another. Your second pick, Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose, WWE, April third, twenty sixteen, WrestleMania thirty two. Um, I mean, you already talked a little bit about why you picked this, but I guess go ahead and tee it up. Uh, so this was a major turning point for me because uh, um, I sort of felt like this match was pretty decently built by wwe standards like uh i even watched the video package before i watched it this time and oh i, was I like, did too and and i watched it and i was like this okay like this sounds decent i mean it was a li- it was goofy but it's like you can't expect wwe to actually not be goofy it like you have to make p if you're gonna watch it you have to make peace with the fact that it's gonna be bad and uh i was very excited about this match too and uh 
when th this was announced, this was one of the last times I was ever excited about a WWE match. I just, I don't even, I, I'm not, I, I quit watching at like, this is when WWE, I washed my hands of WWE and just, you know, I can't watch. Oh, I think you broke up there a second. You just said you can't watch it. Also, I want to say that on view, I can't watch W. That's when I decided I can't watch WWE anymore. But I want to say that on this viewing, this match not as bad as I remember it being. Uh, it wasn't technically oh, did bad. I lose you, John. Oh, can you not hear me? No, uh, I can hear you now. I can hear you. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so it, it wasn't technically bad, but it was still awful, and w we can talk about why, I guess. But um, but yeah, let's talk about let's talk about like what leading up to, like you said, the pre-match video, right? Um, you know, it's basically just, I mean, the entire story. This is Brock killing this man over and over and over again, and you know, Dean just Dean is too tough. He won't stay down. He keeps getting up. You know, blah 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 blah. But like that story only works if eventually the baby face gets to win in the end. This match is Brock destroying Dean Ambrose. I mean, fucking murdering him with these fucking over-the-head belly-to-bellies and German suplexes and everything. Dean will get a weapon, and he'll get, like, a minute of offense, maybe, or 30 seconds, you know, maybe not even that. And, you know, Brock will fucking take the candlestick and break it over his knee because he doesn't need no fucking weapon. He just beats the shit out of Dean again. And I'm like, this entire match is a giant fuck you to their audience. I mean, that's what it is. It is them Ooh. saying, we don't care that you like Dean Ambrose. We don't care that you want, to, you know, Dean Ambrose to do well. We're going to fucking push whoever the fuck we want to push and fuck you. And you know what? It's not like the audience hasn't reacted to that statement. I mean, people think WWE can do whatever they want and, you know, nothing will ever matter and blah, 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 because, it, you know, they're making all this money. But at the same time, Raw is under 2 million viewers a week. And there's a good fucking reason for that. And if you want to look at and people always point to that Roman Reigns rumble, and that's a big part of it. But, man, I think this match is another big moment where it's just like they are never going to change. They like Brock, you know. And, and you know, I think there's a, there's a certain kind of an internet wrestling fan that gives them a pass for the Brock thing because, you know, Brock is fun to watch. I mean, it's fun to watch him kill people and it is fun to watch. You know, he's a, he is good at what he does. He's a very good pro wrestler. He's had some very good matches. You know, he's had some of the only good matches out of that company in, you know, the past few years, like for Daniel Bryan and shit like that. But like people give him a pass when his booking is as big of a reason at, for like the complete destruction of that company as anything. I mean, like you can't, you cannot have, and I'm doing a rant that I guess a million people have done before, but he's a fucking, he wrestles five matches a year and he kills the entire roster. If you want to know why the entire roster right now feels like nothing matters, nobody matters. And you know, who gives a fuck about any of this? I mean, that is a big fucking reason. Cause you know, Brock's not there. Brock kills everybody and Brock loses in two minutes and then disappears again. He'll come right back and kill everybody again. And you know, I mean, it just, it is what it is. You know, he's beaten everybody on this roster and he never gets anybody else over. And, you know, it's by the time they did it with Seth, they did it by Seth kicking him in the balls. And, you know, I didn't watch the Drew match. I don't know. How did you beat him? Uh, I didn't watch the Drew match either. I couldn't. <laughs> I just was like, I don't, I, this D, this match with Ambrose really did 
that was almost when I got soured on Brock. And really, it's the it's the aftermath of this match that soured me on the company and the way they booked Brock. Because I there is stuff that they've done with Brock Lesnar that I've enjoyed. I, I enjoyed almost all of it. And I still kind of enjoy it. But this this it here, I remember the Stone Cold podcast, right? And this was a big story. The Dean went on there and said Brock didn't want to do anything and uh, that he kept pitching him ideas and he kept saying, no, we're not going to do that. And that this match was all that, you know, he was willing to do. I mean, there was nothing planned out and like Ambrose needed to have all the, he needed to have the weapons. So he pulls out a chainsaw at some point in the match, but nothing ever happens with it, which well, I don't know what can happen. Not only that, he goes to start it and it doesn't start. So he yeah. looks like a fucking dipshit and then Brock just kills him again. Yeah. That's the yeah. entire point. Like, what is the point of introducing a chainsaw if the entire point was going to be to make Dean look like an idiot? Yeah. This match doesn't make him look tough and it doesn't make him look good. And, and uh, also, this is a really good example of the wrong finish. I think that this match is uh, three. I don't star rate much so i don't know if this means anything i think this match is like a three and a half star match if ambrose wins in the end maybe maybe even four you know but like the the finish makes you feel bad like that was one of the times where i just said this just this made me feel bad i don't like this it's like not a good feeling yeah and that became like their specialty you know and it's like they would bring out brock to fucking Beat, beat whoever the fuck it was. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's no real point ranting about it because I think everybody knows by now and, you know, no one gives a fuck anymore. But, like, yeah. four years ago, I think we were still on the precipice of, like, you know, people still could care. And now when you watch these shows, and, I mean, you had one of the all-time great tweets during the Royal Rumble this year. Do you remember your tweet? I do not, know. Okay, when you were, like, people just come to WWE shows as a quiet place to think now. Which yeah. I, that that's one of my favorite tweets ever. That was a great tweet because yeah, they just they don't fucking make any noise for anything unless it's if it's the Undertaker showing up to choke Sam AJ Styles, if it's some other old guy showing up to fucking do something. Then I mean, it's not like they don't know how to make noise. They fucking go crazy for that, but for everything else, they sit on their hands because they've been taught repeatedly that none of these people matter. That none and of them the, matter. Yeah, go you're, ahead. you're not going to get the ending that you want. Like the, right. the the this is a very good match to show somebody that says this is a very good match to show somebody that says they're just putting smiles on people's faces. It's like no, <laughs> nobody liked this, and like uh, this was like a twelve layup. like twelve yeah. years <laughs> Right, this was a layup, and both guys were so over. Like like Dean Ambrose was the pop when he came out was just as loud as the Brock Lesnar one. And that's like a really hard thing to get to happen in that company. Like people that, and and he, this was like the shot. This was like the way to, I don't know. Like he just seems like he could have been like a mega star guy, you know? He was the moment he left the company. Yeah. And he's great. Yes, exactly. He, he, 
and Nets, he's just an example of them being like, nah, fuck you. He's not like the guy that we want <laughs> to be the guy. So we're not going to let him. They did push him pretty hard, though. I He did have like he was at the top of the card for upper mid card to the main event for a lot of his run. But it always was something like he came out on the shit end of every feud in the end. Yeah. They just beat him. And uh, this match was just such a letdown. And, like, I really think could have been a great WrestleMania match it, it, with just, like, three or four tweaks to this thing. And it's really good because I, as I was watching, I was like, this isn't, like, as bad as I remember it being. And then as soon as it's the end and you know he's going for that F5, that single F5 so that he can pin him, you're like, oh, this it lets all the air out, and you just can't care anymore. Especially when Brock goes for that the first F five, and Dean turns it into like the fucking he turns it into his finisher, doesn't he? The dirty DZT yeah. whatever on a chair, and Brock just kicks out. So yep. like, yeah, this kills, this just kills fucking finish too. Why not? And yeah. it's like I I don't know. I mean, like they 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 want Brock to be this fucking bigger than life thing, but like I, at a certain point, it's like, what does that get you at the expense of the entire fucking roster? It's like, I don't, it just, it's a very bizarre thing. And like I said, I think people give it a pass because, you know, I mean, I get it. Like, I enjoyed watching him kill the entire roster on that Royal Rumble. I mean, it was fun. But, like, at the same time, I'm not someone who cares if WWE does well yeah. or not. I think if you watch that and you sincerely want WWE to, like, be good and have fans, you should have fucking hated that because it's like, what the fuck is the point of having Brock kill the entire roster again? I mean, yeah. he's done that 50 times already. He didn't Sad. have to wrestle Dean Ambrose in this match either. I, I think that's yeah. another thing that we put out there. If Brock needed to win this, if if we were going to have to give Brock like a win at WrestleMania, he maybe could have wrestled somebody else and well, not they never, they one never, of the most. They never, to, they never have to give Brock a win when a fucking old guy is around. The old guys can always fucking beat him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, Goldberg can fucking beat him. Undertaker can beat him. Hunter can beat him, but. You know, not Dean. I mean, they find them. By the time they finally do it, it's like, well, how does how does Seth Rollins beat him? Kick him in the balls. Yep. And then he goes around calling himself the Beast Slayer. It's like it's so fucking stupid. Yep. And I guess he eventually beats him clean at SummerSlam, but then they do that. They do that Bray Wyatt thing right after. So I don't know. But by yeah. that, I mean by, that, by 2019, it's already fucking dead. Like, let's be oh, real. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, this sure. is, like the between you know, 2015, 2016. Like, this is where you know they had a shot, and they just. You know, they just fucked it up repeatedly. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. No point in talking about dirty booking. It's terrible. But the matches, matches, I guess, kind of interesting as a turning point match. I don't think I like it like as a match as much as you do. I think it's, you know, the 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 Brock like on the big monster stuff doesn't really work as well for me here. I just think it's kind of like okay, we get it. How many more suplexes need to do to him, buddy? Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, it makes him look like a dork when he like steps on the fucking. Uh, oh, I like that. Uh, <laughs> See, that's that's where I'm like, okay, I like this. If Dean wins, like this right. is great, but that's not what happens. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would go like two and a quarter or something. I don't know, two and a half. Just not. I mean, I would say yeah. Off. It's just. Uh... I would say yeah. This is uh, uh like better than uh, a a. TV match, like an average TV match, I think. Yeah. 
so let's go over to my second pick, which was Shinsuke Nakamura versus Kohei Sato from Zero One Max on March 2nd, 2008. Um, so I don't think I'd ever seen this match before before it aired on Samurai TV this past month. They've been like airing a lot of older shows because, uh, you know, they don't have anything new to air. So they are very limited new shows to air. But yeah, this is from their seventh anniversary show at Cork and Hall. It's right in the middle of the big New Japan versus Zero One Max uh, interpromotional feud, which is really, really, really cool. Um, I don't know if you can see some guys at ringside. Like, there's like a young Naito at ringside. Uh, there's like a young young Yujiro Takahashi at ringside. It's like all those guys were in matches earlier in the night, and they're in like these very intense matches against these zero one young lions. So like that that stuff is all really good. Um, this match though was the main event of that show. Uh, it was not for the IWGP Heavyweight Title, even though Nakamura is a champion here. Um, and Shinya Hashimoto, he had passed away about two and a half years before this. They still used his image a lot for like the anniversary aspect of it. And, you know, this is basically like a, like Koei Sato is not like his protege, I don't think, but like he is kind of like the the big zero one prospect who actually made it, you know, is the best way to put it. Like, you know, they tried a lot of guys as like, you know, to bring up in this era. And he was like, he's like the only one I could think of that's like still active to this day and still a pretty big made of mentor. Like he just lost the zero one title, uh, the zero one world title, like last week, I think. So you know, he's still kicking, he's still around, and, you know, he's he had a really famous tag team with Shuji Ishikawa, the Twin Towers, which are really awesome tag team for a while. And I just always liked him, because he's like this, he's this big dude who looks like he should be in the fucking Yakuza, you know? Like, he just looks like he could, he's someone, if you walked into in a back alley in fucking Tokyo, you'd, you'd like, walk in a direction. So, <laughs> but yeah, he beats the piss out of people, and just isn't afraid to take some sick blows back. Uh, he was only 30 years old at this point, but he already had held a whole bunch of titles of zero one. Um, Nakamura was even younger. He was only 28 at this point. So this is like the battle of the two young aces of New Japan and zero one. Um, but yeah, it's also the, like I said, the Hashimoto Memorial match. That's why the ring announcer looks like he's going to cry when he's doing the, the announcements if you were confused by that. It's um, so, uh, the crowd is so hot for this. Yeah. Like, I didn't know any of the backstory, but I did get, the feeling of the uh, I, I did understand that this was a big deal because I had never seen and I, I don't even remember his name now but Nakamura's wrestling yeah was it Sato. showed Sato. Sato okay yeah I had never seen him before I'd never heard of him before but I could tell he was like a huge he was a big deal and he does he is a guy that looks very tough like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's a bigger guy than he was bigger than Nakamura, but not like huge and uh, not like like not like a new Japan, but not like the less defined body. But right. he does seem like he kicks ass. And and I, I feel like I did get an idea for what he is or, or what to compare him to by watching this match. He He, he was very cool. Um, you know, and I picked this for you because, first of all, I figured you were not up on Zero One Max from 2008. So I no. figured there was no chance you'd seen it. But yeah, when I saw this match, I was like, oh, this would be a cool one to give to Brian as like a totally random, like, um, Japanese indie type match. But like, you know, at the same time, it has a guy that you are familiar with because I'm sure you've seen Nakamura. So I've never seen him uh, like this. There was, right. I was pretty shocked at like, his moveset in this match. Cause I thought I understood 
Nakamura, you know? And I, yeah. and I don't. I don't have any understanding of him after watching this. He was very different at this point. Yeah, he was still like in the um, the more – I mean, what Nakamura was doing was much more traditional New Japan at this point before they moved away from that in the in the Bushi Road era where like they're – you know, everything is supposed to look really um, – you know, very like a heavy focus on like realism and, you know, holds and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, you can see him getting away from a little bit because he does, he does a fucking moonsault yeah. <laughs> very early on. But like, you know, it's still very much in that like quasi strong style. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's, the other thing I like about the match too is like, I've always like one of the things that drew me to Japanese wrestling, you know, pretty much immediately is I love the interpromotional stuff. Like I love it when, you know, you have all these different promotions that all just like fucking fight each other constantly. And I feel like that does not exist at all really in American wrestling. I mean, there's like a few little things like there's the the Ring of Honor CCW feud that's very famous, but like, I feel like it happens very rarely here. Whereas Japan, it happens like all the time. I mean, they have interpersonal feuds pretty on a regular basis, you know, dating all the way back to like the eighties. So, you know, it's a very regular thing there. So yeah, this is like a new Japan zero one feud. So you get that like home team versus away team thing that you ne- you don't really get, I think in American wrestling. So for sure. I, 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 I mean, with the first match I picked, I picked it. I got into that company because I thought they were doing an invasion that was like sort of like a TNA WWE invasion to evolve. And uh, like, it is fascinating that they're able to work together. And yeah. uh, was this where, do you know where this match was? Was this in Cork and hall? It was Cork and yeah. It was Cork and, and, and like the, uh, how does, I guess like, I guess people just sort of go down brand lines because it did really feel like both guys were, it it wasn't like, it seemed like both guys were over in this match. It didn't, it were people aren't necessarily taking sides between promotions or am I wrong about that? Like some new Japan fans showed up, I think, is what happened. And that's why they do these interpromotional feuds, because you get to draw from other promotions' fan bases too and stuff. But like, yeah, I think there's some new Japan fans there to cheer on Nakamura, and then the zero one fans would try to drown them out, and you know, they would boo Nakamura when he would do anything. So and zero one was they were competing at this point with uh, uh New Japan. I mean they it's, it's New Japan. It's a long story. Uh, Zero One probably originally was supposed to be like a another brand of New Japan. Like that was probably the original idea, and then they were going to like feud them with New Japan. But um, which they had that idea before. They did that in the '90s with uh, UFO, I think it was called, where Inoki started his own like Antonio Inoki wanted to start his own UFC offshoot, and then eventually just turned into a fucking rival brand to feud with New Japan. But anyway, um, so they were supposed to start this like offshoot, which I think was originally going to be called uh, either just Zero or Zero Zero because it was supposed to start in 2000. And then it got pushed back to 2001 and it became Zero One. So the entire roster pretty much came from New Japan. Like Shinya Hashimoto, um, you know, was one of the big, big stars in New Japan in the 90s. But then like Shinjiro Otani, uh, Tatsuhito Takaiwa, um, like pretty much all those guys, Ogawa who showed up later on, like they all came from New Japan. So, and then they eventually got their own like like they started using a lot of uh, California indie guys at the time, and you know even like 
like a lot of Ring of Honor guys went over there early in the, in the early 2000s. Like that's the only Japanese tour CM Punk ever did. I think was the zero one, and like Samoa Joe worked there, and a bunch of other guys. Steve Carino worked there for a long time. And that's that was pretty much how he started out in Japan. But yeah, they started out as like this weird. You weren't really sure if they were, it was a shoot or a work, but then it became increasingly clear that if it had been a work, it was now a shoot. So basically, they were a New Japan offshoot that probably was originally not supposed to be a real promotion, but it quickly turned into a real promotion. So that's, I guess, the Cliff Notes version. But yeah, by this point, because they have that like weird thread, the fact that they came from New Japan, they've kind of always they've been like a connection there. You know, throughout their history, and they've they've been a bunch of like uh, like New Japan guys would go there a lot, and you know they've been a bunch of New Japan versus Zero One feuds. But this was like like the big one, basically. Like New Japan guys were there all the time at this point, and they were just on their on each other's shows. And you know, New Japan versus Zero One was like the big thing for early two thousand eight. So it's so cool. I I, I mean, uh, this is I I I remember when I got into New Japan was right around when Noah was doing this but i didn't have like a super understanding that noah was like a whole different company <laughs> you know i thought it was like a uh i i probably just thought it was a faction in new japan uh-huh. and uh uh well remember you remember what it was like right when goshi ozaki would show up like on the g1 final and the fucking new japan fans would just fucking boo him out of the building he's yeah. a baby noah but the new japan <laughs> fucking hated him but, yeah, yeah. That's so cool, though. I, I, you really wish that there was some way that something like this could happen here. Like, even if it was, I mean, probably I would love to see ROH versus AEW at some point. I'm really thinking about that because they said ever since Marty took over that you know the door is open. I mean, they should do that fucking feud. I mean, I honestly think they should. I, like, what out? El- when else in America have we seen a big interpromotional feud in the last like? I don't know, fucking 20 years. Like, since Ring of Honor CCW, when's it, like, we haven't really seen one, I don't know, unless I'm forgetting something obvious, but I don't think I am. Right, and there's so. a real story there, too. You know, yeah. the, 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 like, it, it kind of the way you were describing New Japan Zero One, there is, like, a story there where these guys left Ring of Honor to die. Yeah. And that's why. But I guess, like, they probably, I mean, people would probably say, like, they're kind of bringing themselves down to ring of honor level. Yeah, of- See that people say shit like that, but it's like you would, you could, you could have said the same thing about ring of honor to CZW in 2006, but that benefited both companies. I mean, sure as fuck benefited ring of honor. They were the hottest, that, they, they were like the hottest fucking thing. And I don't know. I, I honestly don't. I mean, look, when new Japan was doing this at zero one, you could have said the same thing again. Like new Japan was lowering themselves to zero one, but it was a hot fucking feud and people were into it. So who, I mean, honestly, who gives a fuck? Yeah, true, true. I agree with you on that. Like I, I get maybe not doing it this year. Like if you want to establish AEW or whatever, but I mean, I would absolutely do it in like 2021 or 2022 or something. Like, yeah. And it could really catch, that's a, the sort of thing that could really catch fire. If people started like, uh, uh, um, that's the kind of thing that gets people talking. I, I, I think like these two companies are, are, are working together in America. Like, I don't know who hears it and it gets excited about it, but I, I think people would actually talk about that. I mean, it would know? get me to watch it every week again, probably. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would get, I, I would, uh, 
it would be interesting to talk about with people too. There's a lot of interpromotional politics that would exist too. And, and I do think there, it, it would cause people to talk about wrestling in a way that it feels like they haven't been doing for a while. Yeah. But back to this match, uh, it starts out with like a, a feeling out period, including like some really solid grappling here, more like what we talked about in the first match with some cool mat stuff. Um, and then it really picks up when there's like this big form exchange in the ring, which leads to this huge Nakamura like counter lariat coming out of the corner, which looked really great. And Nakamura to me is not a guy that does lariats a lot, so it was kind of surprising, but he threw a great one there. So, uh, and then he then he hits a moonsault to like gigantic booze, which was like, I was like, when is the last time you saw a moonsault get booed out of the building? <laughs> also, when I mean, I didn't know that was in Nakamura's. Like, I don't know why. Maybe he does it every time, and I just forgot. Over no, no, no. You, know I think, you, know I think, you know what I think it was? I think he was channeling Keiji Muto because oh, okay. Hashimoto was, like, one of the three musketeers. So I think, you know, which was, like, Hashimoto, Muto, Chono. So I think he was doing it, like, um, to do, like, one of Hashimoto's big rivals moves because he's, like, you know, he's supposed to be the uh, the heel here, and uh, Sato's supposed to be fighting for Hashimoto. So I, I think that was the idea. Okay, I, I, I could be wrong, but I think that was the idea. Um, and then he gets cocky and tries a second moonsault, which Sato gets his knees up for. So that was kind of cool. Uh, and then Sato here, he starts kicking the absolute piss out of Nakamura, and it gives a big like Shinya Hashimoto pose, which is cool. Um, but then Nakamura just tries to fucking choke his ass out with a sleeper, and that that probably is my favorite part of the match because Sato sells this really well. And I, you know, I love shit like this where guys just just like. You know, fuck you. I'm just going to choke you out and win this fucking match. I don't give a shit about, uh, you know, looking cool or looking, uh, having a good match, or whatever. We're just going to choke your ass out. But, uh, you know, you instead know, of going, oh, go ahead. You know, it's interesting, John, that I thought I bought this 100%, this sleeper. I thought that you had me watch this match because it ended with a sleeper for a second like that's how good i mean that's how good the selling was was like i think this probably ends with a sleeper you know like that that, that's what's that's that's, like i don't know i just thought that that was i bought into it that much that's not that's pretty rare for a wrestling match Uh, and then he follows up at the landslide, which is his very shitty looking old finisher, which is like he has him up in a Samoan drop position and just kind of like slams the guy. I always hated that move, and I'm glad he uh, was already starting to move away from it here because Sato kicks out of it. Um, but yeah, then Sato almost kills Nakamura with this running knee and then hits his awesome bridging German suplex for a near fall. Uh, Nakamura escapes another German attempt. He catches a charging Sato with a glancing kick, which... Honestly, could have looked better. That that probably is a big flaw there at the end of the match. And then gets the armbar take down into the cross arm breaker. And this is, again, very old school in Japan. The guy, he gets the cross arm breaker on. And after the struggle, Sato taps immediately. Because, again, in a real fight, you get an armbar on, the guy's going to tap immediately, you know? So Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I thought this was a very good match. It's not like an all-time classic or anything. And there's some stuff I would have liked to see look better. But it's a fun battle between two guys who would – this is their first and only meeting. They they had this match in 2008 and they never wrestled again. Um, you know, they're in two different promotions. Their, their paths just never crossed again. And I think they probably could have had a even better match than this if they met up again in like 2015 or something. But 
you know, just didn't happen. So I would go like three and three quarters on this, maybe even four flat. So, you know, again, not like a, a super classic match, but a really good one. And one that I think is an interesting historical curiosity. Yeah. It's a fun, it, it, I, I enjoyed watching the match and, and uh, not even knowing the story, not knowing the backstory, but kind of, I guess I was like creating my own story in my head, but it was a good match. It was very fun. It was very good to watch. And it was like unexpected that some of the Nakamura stuff was unexpected to me. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, I would definitely watch more stuff like that. <laughs> um you know and, and i think if you yeah if you enjoyed that you probably like a lot of zero one from this period it's very probably very similar to their style in general um and then afterward nakamura presents the iwg iwgp belt to a very young daichi hashimoto at ringside i don't know if you saw that or not but uh that was young daichi that he gave the belt to uh um, no i did not i didn't see that i i think i stopped it when it was done because i okay. was tired but yeah, I think they introduced a new title right after this. I'm, I'm not sure if it was the current one or if there was a another stopgap. But yeah, there's a he gives that IWGP belt that Hashimoto Shinya Hashimoto had held for a long time to his son. Uh, and Daichi was supposed to be the big hope of Zero One, but it just didn't. I mean, now he's in Big Japan, so you can <laughs> figure out yeah. figure out how that worked out. It didn't work out very well for Zero One, but yeah. Uh, so let's. Do you have anything else about this match or no? No, no, it was a good match. Let's move over to the fan vote match, Kazuchika Okada versus Katsuyori Shibata, New Japan, April 9th, 2017. Um, so you told me you were going to nominate this match, and I was like, okay, well, what the fuck am I supposed to put up against one of the greatest matches of all time that's going to possibly have a chance in hell of winning? So I figured whatever I put up had no chance in hell of winning anyway. So I'll put up as a joke uh, the Money in the Bank 2020 match, and the problem was the Money in the Bank match started out by running away with the vote. I mean, you you saw the poll at the start, right? It was like 60-40 at one point. Yeah, or yeah. I, like, I did think I was going to have to watch Money in the Bank. I was very, I was resigned to it. So, yeah, the poll went from like 60-40 over the course of the first day to like a dead even 50-50. And, you know, then something would get up to 51, but nothing could get above 51. And, you know, here's where I will admit, I, uh, I started thinking about this more and was like, I really don't want to watch this Money in the Bank match. So I took the poll and I gave it to some of my friends that are not wrestling fans. And I was like, here you go. Please vote for Okada Shibata. So even though I technically lost this poll, quote unquote, I think I came out a winner here. I did not have to watch Money in the Bank. But yeah, no. the, final tally, the final tally ended up being 53-47 after I uh, greased, greased the... Uh, Grease the wheels of uh, voting <laughs> and committed voter fraud. And I sent it to uh, I sent it to my friends to take my own pick because I did not want to watch it. But yeah, I'm do. glad I got to watch. This is one of my this is my favorite match ever of all time. That's why I picked it. I I like didn't I, you know, uh, I I didn't get I I wanted to pick something good for the poll and I also. I just like I wanted to give you three matches that were kind of important to me. And this match is like very important to me. And I've gotten a lot of people watching New Japan by just saying, like, what you should just check this match out. And yeah. uh if you like it, you know, there there's more where that came from, you know, and, and just 
nobody's ever said I watched that match and I didn't like it. I just it's it's an incredible match that that really builds and uh it just truly I, I don't know if anything will ever give me the feeling that that match gave me the first time I watched it. Right. I mean, it's it's you watched it like after the fact, right? Not like in real time. I think I watched this one live. I didn't oh. watch it live. I don't watch anything live, actually, New Japan, because I don't like to stay. I don't like the sun to be coming up when I get up. Yeah. But I was unspoiled on this match okay. when I watched so, it. I had no idea who was going to win. So this is, I, I mean, it's it's a weird one because it's indisputably one of the greatest matches of all time, I think. But it's also one that I've, I this may have only been like the second time I've rewatched it because, I don't know, like I, I was a gigantic fan of Shibata. And knowing that this match ended his career, it's a little painful to me to watch it, honestly. So, yeah, I mean, it's a match that I think is amazing. And he, he clearly goes out, uh, you know, on the t- on top. But while I'm watching, I can't just think, I can't help myself from thinking, like, buddy, can't you just drink some water? Because <laughs> that's how, I don't know if you know how it happened, but, like, he was very dehydrated. And that's why when he does that headbutt towards the end, he has that, uh, what, whatever it was called, like, sub- I, I don't know the word. It's yeah, like some think, kind of brain injury. Yeah, yeah. I know. And and that's one of those things, too. This is sort of a, probably for some people, this is like a, a watching a Benoit match almost. Like it feels, uh, I can understand somebody being like, it feels irresponsible to watch this match or to like say it's great. But it just, I mean, in the moment, it was, I, I couldn't, I mean that headbutt spot is like perfect, a perfectly placed spot in a match, and yeah. uh, it ended his career. But it also like it was a headbutt that he did that got the maximum amount of effect that you could ever get out of a headbutt. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's not to me like something where it's like, oh, how could you watch this? You can't watch this. Like, I don't, I don't really feel like you know, any, anything like that about it. it it's just kind of sad, I guess, to watch it, it for that part. Yeah, and it's like, you know, so I have to be, I have to, like, really steal myself, I guess, to watch it, but, like, I mean, you know, just the actual, the match itself is incredible for a million different reasons. Um, so for people who don't know any of the backstory here, there's not a ton, really. I mean, Okada was in the middle of his record-breaking title reign. He beat Naito at Dominion in 2016, you know, he would not lose the title until two years later at Dominion in 2018 to uh, Kenny Omega. And he broke Tanahashi's defense record in a single reign along the way. So this is like right in the middle. Of, it's towards the end of the first year. So he's got a long way to go in this reign, obviously. Um, Shibata had just won the New Japan Cup. And, you know, he entered what would turn out to tragically be his final match, you know, probably ever. You know, I, I know people got very excited when he laid out Kenta, but... I always only allowed myself to get so excited, you know, because I, I thought maybe he would come back for like a tag match or something, but it, it sounds like they can't even, he can't even do that. So, you know, I, if he never wrestles again, I will not be surprised. But I, you know, the other thing too, and maybe this is me even trying to put too positive a spin on it, but like, I don't know if you watched that documentary they, that they did with him at the LA Dojo, but like, he does seem legitimately like sincerely happy, you know, with his role. Like he actually seems like he really, loves teaching these students in the LA dojo. And by all accounts, I mean, he's doing a great job. I mean, these, these guys that came out of nowhere, basically like Carl Fredericks and them, they look fucking hell of a lot better than most of your, you know, performance center guys. So, you know, clearly he's a great trainer 
and you know he, he seems to enjoy it he seems to be really good at it so you know and he recovered completely when it looked like you know he could have died here honestly so it could have been a, a much worse ending and you know maybe that that makes it a little more watchable but yeah that is true if he had died i probably wouldn't have been like we should do <laughs> this match but this yeah. i i mean i just i know it's like a super normie pick for the uh voices of wrestling audience or whatever like it feels like it feels like everybody's like oh why would you pick that but <laughs> i just i really wanted to i i wanted to give people a like some sort of a sense of what i like and and right. that is something that i abs i love that match and i'll i will always recommend it to people and uh i'm so excited i was so glad i got to watch it again today and i was i was in the building when he came out at the the G1 in 2017 when no one had seen or heard of him for months and months and months. And you know, that in that, that G1 final in 2017, that music hits and that, I mean, that's like one of those moments that like for the rest of my life, I'll never forget. I mean, you know, people were just bawling when this man came out and like, I was, I, I'll be honest, I was crying a little bit too. And it yeah. was everybody. I mean, he came out and, you know, just took that bump and just said, you know, I'm still alive. That's all. And like, yeah, that was just uh you know, one of those moments I'll never forget. So I'm very glad he survived what could have been a, you know, a very, he could have been deadly. I mean, he could have died, but yeah. uh, it's very, very lucky that he's, and he seems like he's enjoying himself as the head of the LA dojo. So he could it, it's a bad, it's a bad ending, but it could have been a much worse ending, I guess is the best way to put it. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, ha I'm happy he's, I mean, he was even able to do that spot with Kenta, which I imagine, you know, just that run in this past year must've been, you know, really thrilling for him. He looked like he was having the time of his life doing it and crowd was going absolutely bad shit. So, you know, I'm sure yeah. even just, I'm sure even just training to, to do that must've been really something for him. So, um, but yeah, so this starts with some, again, some fine mat wrestling. I always enjoy some actually, some actual grappling in my grabs. So, uh, and that's a good start. And, you know, sometimes the Okada mat wrestling start isn't very good. <laughs> you know, there's definitely been some ones where, uh, like the Ibushi match at Wrestle Kingdom this year, where like the the mat wrestling stuff really isn't interesting at all. But here, I thought it was pretty interesting. So I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, and then we get like the first moment where you can see where this match is going, where the crowd gets really mad. Okada not giving Shibata a clean break in the corner, and you know, Okada like just goes like crazy and like. Um, you know, he basically, I mean, Okada doesn't go crazy, but he basically just is like, refuses to give this guy the clean break. And, you know, Okada, I've always liked him. I've made this point before talking about this match. I like him way more when he's playing that subtle heel and when he's, you know, the, the obstacle the other guy has to get past. I think where Okada isn't as interesting to me is when he's playing the baby phase. I don't really find him super um, engaging, entertaining, you know, fighting from the bottom or playing the baby phase. But when he is like, you know, he's like this in this position because his real life position, right, is the the guy who was chosen by the company to be the eternal ace, to be on top of the company for the next twenty years. And you know, it's a very defensible choice on their part. I mean, he's a tall guy, good looking guy. Uh, you know, he's got some charisma. Great, he's in great shape. So I like it better when they lean into that. When they lean into this, this like you know, this like. Uh, his real life persona, I think of being the guy that was chosen by the company to be the top guy. 
And, you know, it feels like this match leans into that, where it's like he refuses to give the clean break. He's a dick to this guy. Shibata is this guy that, like, you know, he's not really supposed to be here. He left this company. He doesn't, you know, he he's never going to be, like, the, the chosen guy of the office. And it feels like he has to work for every fucking thing he gets, you know, tooth and nail. And the crowd is so behind him. So, you know, they just, they don't try to force anything. If And I know people hate the WWE New Japan comparison. If this was WWE, they would try to fucking force it down your throat, you know? Like, Okada would be the fucking hero. Shibata is this guy left the company. He's a fucking asshole. Like, they would try to fucking force that narrative down your throat instead of just going with what was always going to naturally work. So... I like that they leaned into what actually was always going to work, and you know they let—they're never afraid to let Okada be a dickhead and be the guy, even though he's always going to be the guy and he's always going to be the ace. They're never afraid to let him be the heel in a situation. You know, you saw it again with Naito, right, this past year, and like they're never afraid to lead into that. Whereas, like, you know, it never feels like WWE wants anybody they're pushing to be. You know, I like, think you can't see them booking Roman Reigns like that. You know. But. Yeah, they did it a few times in in like uh, uh, matches with Daniel Bryan, I guess, yeah. like with Roman Reigns, and it was really good when they did it. But you know, most so they never the do it again. <laughs> yeah, most of the time they don't do it. But yeah, yeah, he's he is like a uh, Okada to me is also I, I I like him a lot more as a heel, like uh, being like a subtle kind of heel that that is the company man guy. I I. I, I think that is also where I think he excels. Like he's, he's much more interesting that way. Yeah. And he also, I, I like that he plays, he doesn't overplay either. Like he doesn't fucking, um, you know, in the matches where he's going to be the heel, he doesn't start fucking twirling his mustache and, you know, start low blowing people or anything. He just fucking does very little like subtle things that really makes you want to see this fucking guy lose. So yeah. it really works. Um, so he takes over for a while until Shibata has his first big comeback, including obviously the corner drop kick, which the crowd goes nuts for. And then he does another one on the floor with Okada against the railing. Um, Okada cuts Shibata off with this awesome big boot to the face, which looks way better than when he usually does it. So I don't know if it was Shibata's like selling or whatever it was, but it was great. Um, the Rainmaker pose gets booed out of the building, which is a great moment. He goes for the Rainmaker for the first time, but Shibata counters into this perfect STO, which is a great moment, and uh, gets this enormous Shibata chant. And then there's this big fucking forearm exchange in the middle of the ring with the threat flying off them. They beat, they beat each other's asses, including like these really stiff forms from Shibata, but Okada fires back with some European uppercuts, then hits that uh, fucking neckbreaker thing he does. Um... And then, like, they have this, like, long slap exchange, which is really good. And Okada basically goes crazy on after that. He, like, starts choking him in the corner. And the crowd's, like, so fucking pissed at this point. And then he runs in and hits his own corner drop kick, which just an awesome fucking spot. Um, he immediately goes back to choking him. But then Shibata, like, stands up and, like, holds his foot. And, like, he's like, you're not going to choke me anymore. And but Okada blocks his elbow strike one of his own, but then Shibata does the Okada drop kick, you know, the, the standing drop kick Okada style, which is another great moment. And then he's basically had enough Okada shit here and he gives, he starts fucking punching, which is great. I love when Puro guys punch because they almost never do it. Right. So by the time when Shibata fucking cocks his fist and just is like, starts throwing these overhead punches to the top of Okada's head, it's almost like this motherfucker has gone too far. And now I'm going to fuck him up basically. Um, and then he just starts bootstrapping on the corner but his first attempt at the PK is met by an Okada drop kick. Now this match is already incredible, 
But I think this next sequence is where it goes from like incredible to all time classic. So we hit 30 minute mark and I, I honestly couldn't, I love that. I mean, one of the reasons why I love when these new Japan matches announce the five minute intervals is because I never would have got through a 30 minutes already. I mean, it feels like it felt like it had been like 10 minutes, maybe. Um, Okada hits these two seated drop hits on Shibata. Shibata rolls backwards to the second one and no sells it. And he fucking hits this incredible German suplex on Okada, like just drops him on the back of his head. But Okada completely no sells it, gets up, uh, drop kicks Shibata again. Shibata no sells that, gives him this amazing bicycle kick, which looks awesome. Uh, Okada dodges another big boot. It's another German suplex. Both men are down. Okada maintains waist control. That whole sequence, I probably didn't even do it justice. I rewatched that sequence like seven or eight times, honestly. It's just such a fucking awesome sequence. Um, and then Okada like tries to remake it for the second time. Shibata kicks the arm away. Okada eventually hits it, but Shibata won't go down. Is yeah, that not that, the way in history? That, yeah, Shibata that's the not- spot where like you're that is like the first place where you're like oh my God, like this is serious. <laughs> Shibata could win here. And I remember even being at the time, like thinking there's no way Shibata is going to win this match. I don't think yeah. anybody believed that he was going to win. And uh, that's when you really start to bite. And it's like just so powerful when he doesn't go down. Yeah. he. T- I mean, the Raymaker at this point, um, I don't think anyone's even kicked out of it yet. Have they? And did Kenny kick out of it? I don't even remember. Maybe Tanahashi yeah. did. No, Tanahashi yeah, kicked out of it. A few people kicked out of it at this point. But, like, it's still very rare. I mean, yeah. very, very rare that people kick out of the Rainmaker. So, like, for Shibata, Shibata doesn't kick out of it. He doesn't even fucking go down. He takes his dead fucking move and just stands there. And he's just like, I will not fucking go down for your fucking you know, spinning lariat thing. I am Katsuri Shibata. I'm too fucking tough to sell for your fucking lariat. I don't give a shit. It's just one of the, like the first time I saw this match, I'm just like, my God, like this, what an amazing moment. So uh, it also feels like it takes a lot out of Shibata too. Like he sells the damage from it still. Yeah. Like he, 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 he kind of is taken aback by it, but he just stays up and it makes him look so badass. Uh, so he hits the cursed headbutt here, which is, and the blood starts pouring down his head. And it's a great moment, but I really wish he hadn't done it, obviously. And then he gets for the fucking octopus hold on. Now, this is great because that's Enoki's finisher. So he's basically, uh, he's basically saying like, you know, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to beat you with our fucking founder who is not welcome in this company anymore. I'm going back to that. I'm going back to strong style. I'm going to beat with the fucking octopus hold. That's great. Like, I love that as a little touch. And I think I think it works even if you don't know that. But it, if you do know that, I think it's incredible. And Okada makes the ropes after a long struggle. Um, and Shibata gets the sleeper locked in as we hit the 35-minute call. And Okada reaches for the ropes. And then Shibata just calmly, calmly grabs that arm, pulls it back, and hits my favorite move in wrestling history, the fucking sleeper suplex. Isn't the sleeper suplex awesome? It Such is. a great it looks like it fucking breaks someone's neck. Um, then he does the second most badass moment of all time after the uh, the Rainmaker no-sell, the Rainmaker slap, which I don't know if you listen to this in Japanese or English. The Japanese announcers fucking lose their shit over this. <laughs> like, they are yeah. so, they're both stunned and, like, 
like take like Rainmaker or whatever the fuck, and like they, they say slap whatever slap is in Japanese, I don't remember. But like they yell it and they're like, they're so fucking like they're taken aback by this and just like, what the fuck is going on? And the crowd too is like, what the hell is going on? A Rainmaker slap, just an incredible moment. Um, and then he holds onto the wrist while he kicks the fucking shit out of him, which Okada takes like a champ. So good for him. Um, but then he makes him he makes one crucial mistake which bites him in the ass, which he holds onto Okada's wrist as he goes to run away. And Okada pulls him back. I, I assume he's running over to hit the PK. And Okada pulls him back for a short Rainmaker. Uh, and then both guys are down, but Okada still has the wrist. You know, Shibata tries to boot his way out, and Okada boots him back. Does another short Rainmaker. Shibata only collapses the knees this time. And then Okada, Okada sets him up for the full thing. And Shibata, he raises his arm like he is going to counter again, which is such an amazing fucking touch. Um, this man has a fucking, like, brain contusion at this point, and somehow he still thinks to fucking get his arm up to act like he's going to counter again, which I thought he was going to for a second, the first time I watched this. And it just an amazing touch. I can't believe he still had the presence of mind to do. But he doesn't get the arm up quite fast enough, and Okada uh, hits the Rainmaker clean this time and pins him one, two, three. Uh, it's this is a basically a perfect match, one of the greatest of all time. Um, you know, the easiest five stars I think I've ever given, probably. And an amazing thing about it is there are no near falls in this match. None. No, they I didn't not- even think about that. I didn't even think about the fact that you're right. That they is probably all- what makes it seem so intense in the end, in that last yeah. run where there's no, there's no cover attempts that yeah. that to slow it down at all. Like it just keeps building, and you feel like, you feel like, how far is this going to go? This this almost has gone too far. What that is incredible. I mean, all, the New Japan modern like main event style is, you know, I, and people often say that it's just, you know, it's too reliant on near falls. And they went out here and they were like, we're just not going to do any. <laughs> They're just like, you know, there have been so many really awesome New Japan matches that had a lot of near falls. And they were just like, let's not, let's not do any. Let's just fucking, we're not going to go for any. I, there's probably no covers in this match for like 35 minutes or something. Like there's, a, I, I can think of one cover early on and then there's, there might not be any more until the finish. You're for sure in the last like 20 minutes. And that's why it also feels like you don't know how you got to this fevered pitch in that match. That's probably, that is what it makes you feel like. You just get to a point in this match where you're like, I am really invested in this. And it really feels like these two guys are going at each other. Like I didn't notice how ratcheted up it was getting. And then at least the first time I, I did notice this time, but the first time I watched it, I didn't notice how much it had ratcheted up until like the headbutt where I was like, Holy shit. Like this is, I, I, this match is intense yeah. <laughs> and it still goes on for a long time after that. It, it's just a re- really good match that makes it that, that like, if you're watching it, it is, it's like 40 minutes long and it doesn't feel like that at all. And it almost, even when it ends, you're like, I wish that was still happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, it, it sucks that it's about his last match, but I mean, it's really impossible to go out more on top than he did here. And the fact that he, you know, 
you know, he was able to survive the, the very serious injury and, you know, seems to be happy now. Definitely makes it a little easier to watch now. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's a Okada does amazing work as a subtle heel. This like fucking barrier that Shibata gives everything to try to topple over and just can't quite do it. Uh, Shibata is just, I, I, I don't even really know how to describe his performance here. I mean, everything he does, his selling, his timing, um, you know, his connection with this crowd, just everything is absolutely perfect. I, I don't even, there is nothing in this match. I, I, I really cannot think of a single thing you could possibly think is bad, you know? Like I've never, I've, there are a lot of wild opinions on the internet, you know? <laughs> and I've had some wild opinions too, I'm sure, to many listeners. But I've really never met the person who says this match is bad. I don't know if I want to meet that person. I kind of think, that, that person shouldn't exist. So if you're out there, I guess you can at me at Russell Omakase so I can block you, I guess. But I mean, I don't, I don't know what the, the counter opinion would be. Um, that it's, you know, problematic to enjoy it, but yeah, know, that's just the way things are. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's, I, I don't really view that as a criticism of match, I guess, but I guess. No, no, no. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're totally right. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you want to say you shouldn't have done the headbutt, I guess that's, that's fine. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. So, but yeah, Okada, like I said, amazing and subtle heel. Shibata is great, um, just absolutely amazing. His facial expressions in this match are just like you—you you, you ride that entire wave with him, where like you see it all in his face, where he's giving everything he has to beat this man, and he just can't quite do it. Um, all the work is like really crisp and timed perfectly. Uh, nothing you could even remotely call a botch. And the story of the match is so perfect, but like you know, Shibata giving everything he has just come up a little bit short in the end, and. You know, it, it just it completely works, and I, it just absolutely is an incredible match. Um, but yeah, this is this is like the antidote, I guess, for people who complain that New Japan big main events are just a bunch of near fall fests. So this is the match you show them, and you know, this one match of the year in the Voice of Wrestling poll in 2017. Um, some years I don't agree with the poll. Not one of those years. This was absolutely the best match of 2017. Um, and one of the best matches of all. I mean, if I was going to make a best match ever list, I don't see how this would be lower than third. I yeah. can think of maybe two matches I like better. It'd be really close, though. Um, and the... I don't even know if you know the story, but when this won the Voice Wrestling poll, some fucking gamer friend, of like professional gamer friend of Kenny Omega, I guess was, like, mad. And because this was also the year that we had the three... Uh, Okada Omega matches, and I guess you know Kenny thought he was going to win, and the you know the game from is like, look at this shit, uh, voting this match is disgusting, and Kenny like liked the tweet. Oh <laughs> I was no! Like, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Kenny? So I don't. Some, there's some shit with Kenny where I'm just like, you know, I Shibata like this man is like at this point we didn't even know if he was going to be as uh, as okay as he is now. I'm like, why the fuck did you like this three asshole? So yeah, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's why I hate Kenny. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was a hateable move. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I already didn't like his wrestling that much before that, so I can't, I can't fucking lie. But yeah, so uh, I just, I remember that, so I wanted to bring it up. But yeah, do you have any final thoughts on the match? Since you were the one who picked it after all. No, it just, it is my favorite match ever. And I hope maybe, I guess there could be one that's better. But if I had to make a best matches of all time, I would make this my number one for sure. I mean, I definitely couldn't. I mean, there's, I, there's like, I'm thinking of like one, there might be like one Noah match and one All Japan match I like better, but it's real close. I mean, it's for sure my favorite New Japan match ever. 
And I, I just really, I can't think of anything I like better. So, and you know, that's, I mean, obviously I love a lot of Nitro matches, but uh, I mean, this, this, everything about this match is pretty much perfect. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what nitpick you could have with it. Like I said, if you, if you have one, uh, I guess let me know. But other than the headbutt, I guess would be the one. But I just—it's just a very—it's a match I've never seen anyone really try to tear down because it's like I don't know what you would say really. Yeah, but. there's nothing to say. <laughs> uh, all right, Brian, give me some plugs here. I'm sure you got a bunch of them. Hey, you just go to Street Fight Radio or .com or the POD Cast. I am um, Murder Brian on Twitter. You can find me there, and I just oh. tweet. Very short plug, actually. I thought that'd be longer. You have a Patreon too, man. Plug the Patreon. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, we do. Street Fight and the POD cast both have Patreons. But uh, you just listen to the free stuff at first and then decide if you like. If you want to hear a show about uh, left politics, that's Street Fight. If you want to hear a show about new metal music, uh, that's the POD cast. Those are That's my yin and my yang. Um. And you know, I might maybe I'll ask you for advice soon because I might be doing it on the cut. Say Patreon, we'll see. No maybe. problem, guy. Anytime. Uh, but we'll see about that. It depends on wrestling coming back, basically. So yeah. That's in the meantime, true. if it does, then I think I have a good plan. But we'll see. Yeah. So, folks, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Wrestle Omakase, uh, wrestling would not fit, of course. And next week, our next five matches episode, I am going to be very happy to bring on a big fan of the wrestler I just buried, Kenny Omega, uh, Liam from the Wednesday War Games podcast on this very network. We're making his Omakase debut. So um, I already know what matches are picking. So it's going to be an interesting set. I think we've kind of had, this is like the, the Nakamura uh, mini series on this five match series, because, <laughs> you know, last week, last week had, I think two Nakamura matches and this week had another one. And next week we're going to have two more, including one that has come up many times on this Omakase before. When Liam picked this match, I laughed out loud. So I think people will enjoy it. So uh, that'll be a pick for next week. And, you know, there's going to be some Naito and some Kenny. Very New Japan heavy episode next week. So if you want to see some, hear some New Japan talk, next week's episode will be the one for you. So that'll be next week. In the meantime, uh, we thank you as always for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions. Same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.